welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We usually produce a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, but from Friday the 13th of February through Friday the 13th of March, we're going to be celebrating the entire Friday the 13th franchise by bringing you the five-part series of movie reviews and then an extra episode, which is going to be a big franchise overview. So for episodes 42 through 47, you're going to get a new podcast every Friday. And this is episode 45. And it is what? Our fourth? This is the fourth. because the four or five. Yeah. yeah. So this is episode 45, the fourth episode of this series. And um, we're going to be bringing you reviews of Friday the 13th, part seven, The New Blood from 1988. Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan from 1989. And Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday from 1993. And we have a couple of special guests that are going to be joining us later on for those last two reviews. Should we keep that a surprise, you guys, or should we say who they are? Keep it as a surprise once we get to the movies. Okay, we'll leave it as a surprise. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shock Becker from uh, outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh. How's it going, Jay? It's good, buddy. So, Josh, why don't you tell us what the prize giveaway is for this particular episode? Okay. Well, guys, this episode, we are talking about a little movie called Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. This is the best movie poster ever made, in my opinion. (laughs) I love the way this movie poster looks. I love movie posters in general, but there are very few that I hang because to me they have to be art as well. And I think the Jason Takes Manhattan poster is, you know, it's up there with just one of the few that I actually have framed and hanging in my office, but it hangs behind me oftentimes when I'm podcasting, actually. Uh, I just love, love it. And it's so nostalgic for me because it's got that kind of like John Carpenter-esque lighting in the poster. It just feels like the 80s to me. And I love that. So our giveaway this week is going to be a Jason Takes Manhattan poster. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it'll be cool. I want someone who really wants this to win it because uh, I would hate for it to go to waste. Yeah. So what do they got to do to win it? Hadn't thought that far ahead. <laughs> well, I, I like the getting this. I mean, people are writing in with their order of their favorite. How about this time? Favorite kill of the entire franchise. Okay. And the top city. Three, top three kills. kills. Top three uh, yeah, kills. top three kills is a great idea. Okay, so top three kills of the entire franchise. And you must include where you're listening from. So we can get that on the back of the T-shirt. By the way, we've had a lot of entries, a lot of people leaving iTunes reviews, trying to leave iTunes reviews, tweeting and Facebooking and Instagramming and all kinds of stuff. So we really appreciate all the love that you're giving the podcast, even though it's for your own selfish reasons to get <laughs> to get these prizes. <laughs> Don't say that, Josh. They're I, gonna. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking. No, I, we do appreciate the love. I know that you're doing. You know, I know that you know. Uh, it's not the only reason you're tweeting about us, but we we do appreciate it. I love when you give the listeners a hard time. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> well, yeah. they, I consider them friends because we spend a lot of time on the message boards talking to each other. Yeah, but we do thank everyone that's done it because it helps our show out a lot. So struggle Definitely. through it and leave us an iTunes review if you'd like. But what I was actually trying to get to here is, um, as Jay said, leave your city that you hail from. That was part of the rules. We've had a lot of people tweeting and emailing and leaving their top three films, but a lot of them left off their city. So are we going to be are we going to be tough on them and not count those as entries? 
Probably not, but you no, might as well I, I, enter. Yeah. Might as yeah, well enter I, it so we can put it on the T-shirt. It'll be cool. It's fun to know. But if, but if you've done that and not put your city, just throw a quick comment, letting us yeah. know, yeah. letting us know the the city. But how big is this shirt, Jay? Oh, it's big. Yeah, four <laughs> XL. It's a hockey shirt. Wow. <laughs> no, but uh, no, it, it'll be it'll be great. I mean, you've seen the back of like um, you know, musician tour T-shirts where like they have all the cities. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. It's gonna have okay. everybody everybody's city on there who's dead serious about horror movies. Okay. Nice. So just as a warning here for this episode, we typically do not reveal spoilers on Horror Movie Podcast, but in order to go in-depth on this franchise, there will be full-blown spoilers, especially for films 7, 8, and 9. And in our franchise reviews, we try to focus on the film at hand and not jump around cross-referencing between films. So without a further delay, let's move into our feature review of Friday the 13th Part 7, the New Blood from 1988, also known as Jason versus Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one you've been waiting for. What's happening to me? Your psychokinesis and these delusions are no, you're not listening to me! The one you've been asking for. Hey, <laughs> Tina, isn't this the way they wear their jackets back in the mental hospital? <laughs> concentrate, concentrate, Tina! The one. You've been dying for. You people give me the creeps. Okay, you big hunk of a man, come and get me. Jason ah! is back. But this time, someone is waiting. Dr. Shark, do you want to do the premise for us? I think yes, you just I, nailed it, Jason versus Carrie. <laughs> That's right. That, that really is what it is. You have a young girl um, who, as as a child, she looked a lot like the girl from Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. And Poltergeist. <laughs> and Poltergeist. Well, she looked a lot like Poltergeist, but yeah. looked exactly like the girl from Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. And um, <laughs> what happened was she heard her parents fighting. She ran out into a boat. And we find out at that point, her father comes out to try to bring her back. And she has these telekinetic powers, I guess, that sort of surface at that point. And the dock falls apart and her father ends up dying. So she's responsible for her father's death. Well, then we jump ahead forward. She's in treatment. She's been in and out of hospitals. Um, and there's a doctor now who's treating her. Um, it turns out he might have his own ulterior motives for doing so. But he's decided this time that she'd go back to... The house where it all happened, which happened to be in the Crystal Lake area and very near where um, at the end of part six, uh, Jason got a rock around his neck and is floating at just sort of floating there at the bottom of the um, uh, bottom of Camp Crystal Lake. Well, she's there and she gets this feeling. I don't know what it is, but, um, you know, the girl, when she gets back there, that there's something in the water and she ends up resurrecting Jason uh, inadvertently. <laughs> When she was intending to resurrect her Intending dad. to resurrect her decaying father. But what happens is there's also these kids next door. They're throwing a surprise party for one of their, for well, the, um, a cousin slash friend of some of them. Um, and they're waiting for him to arrive. 
you know, to be at this party, there's a whole bunch of kids, all the different stereotypes that you get, like the the nerdy sort of sci-fi kid, uh, the the tough Italian kid, the 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 bitchy girl, pardon my French. So you know, you got all these kids together over there, and so there's you know, you got the two houses. Well, you know, the girl uh, ends up befriending one of the guys uh, at the house. They end up, you know, starting up a relationship. Um, but after resurrecting Jason, it turns out that the guy whose party it's the guy who the party is for uh, was on his way. It was a surprise party, and well, let's just say the guy never gets there. And from that point forward, um, Jason just sort of gets the job done. But he actually, this time though, he's going up against somebody who has a little more power than uh, or, or a little more ability than the other teens than any of the other teens he's ever faced. Yes, exactly. And many people have said it is a lot like Jason versus Carrie. Now, do you think, do you guys think that was the the direct inspiration they wanted? Or do you think this was inspired from? Well, this was actually the first attempt, failed attempt to make Freddy versus Jason is how this started out. Hmm, um, right. And they couldn't come to an agreement. So then the thought was, what about Jason versus Carrie? And then they couldn't get the rights to that. And so then they just decided, well, let's just make our own version of Carrie, basically. Right. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. The other thing I, I wondered, too, is um, I'm a little rusty on the Nightmare on Elm Street one. But is it part three or part four where they are fighting back? Is it called Dream Warriors? Four is the Dream Warriors, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and that's yeah, where they fight so. him. Like there's like a karate girl or whatever. And they fight Freddy. Anyway, I wondered if. I don't know. I wondered if that was some kind of inspiration where it's like, hey, let's take. Uh, sorry, three is Dream Warriors. Oh, is it? Okay. Apologies to everyone. Yeah, I knew it was three or four. But um, so do you think that that was like, you know, it ended up because that was like 87 and this is 88. So it, it seems like it was a trend to have, okay, let's have people stand up to the monster. Let's have them fight yeah. the monster. It, it's possible because Freddy was much more popular at this point in time than the Friday the 13th movies were. I mean, the Friday the 13th movies were still making money, but they were on the decline, whereas Freddy was sort of uh, on the rise. Yeah, and so in 87, they probably made decent money, and they probably thought, well, okay, let's get a battle movie going. That was just one of my theories. Now, Doc, when you said, and maybe I'm just dense and I didn't get your joke, were you joking when you said that Jennifer Banco looked exactly like the girl in in part three? Because that is her. I know it's her. Oh, yes, okay, that, okay. that was what I was saying. I okay. know it's. I know it was the little girl from Leatherface. Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Three. That's why I said that. I, yes. I know. Well, honestly, when I so when I revisited this uh, a couple nights ago, I when I saw her, I'm like, oh, that that's um, what is it, Caroline? <laughs> like, I'm like, I mean, that's the girl from Poltergeist. That's her. You know, and it I was. Looked, it does well. It does it, look like um, Heather O'Rourke. Uh, or Heather, is it O'Rourke or I think it's Heather O'Rourke. Um, it does look like her. I, it's clear it's not, but it definitely has that look. Like if they decided they wanted to continue Poltergeist without her, this would have been the girl they would have chosen. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but this girl now has been, you know, and uh, and Leatherface was a few years after this, if I'm not mistaken. I think Leatherface was 90 that that came out. Um, the second Texas Chainsaw. I mean, Leatherface, the third Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
um, which I thought this, the little, I thought the little girl was really good in that movie too. She yeah. has a very small part in this one. She has a bigger part in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I did know it was, I knew it was her. Okay. As I, was, I, I knew I, as soon as I saw her face, I'm like, that's, that's her. That's the girl from the other face. Yeah. Well, it's amazing how much he looks like O'Rourke really. And, and, and it is. And it really is. Yeah. There's a definite similarity there. And sadly, like, yeah, she died in 88. It said Heather O'Rourke. So yeah, when the year yes. this came out, so mm-hmm. that's terrible, but she died right before Poltergeist three was released. That's crazy. Right, didn't they have to reshoot some shots with another girl or something? I, I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. So, guys, I, I hate to do this. I hate to jump straight to the middle of the movie, but I have to talk about the sleeping bag kill because it is one of my favorites. I I mean, is that... Jeez, Jason. Is that terrible that I'm... um Spoil the whole review of the <laughs> movie. <laughs> well, to me, I, that is the highlight to this movie. And I'll, I'll tell you what. It is good, and, and and I like that scene. I thought that, it, you know, the way it's presented in the movie, like when I was first watching it, I was like, wow, he did a lot of damage with hitting her right around the feet. Because that was like, it seemed to me like he first hit her like around the feet to the middle back area. Yeah. But it turns out that he smacked her many times, and the MPAA wouldn't allow it. They had to cut it down to one. Right. Of course. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. There were like six strikes. Um, and yeah. you, you can actually see footage of that. Like they have that in the deleted scenes. You can find it on YouTube. And, and there's a good bit of blood with the sleeping bag. And my understanding, now maybe people will make fun of me, but my understanding of the, the sequence is that he grabs her by the feet and he smacks her head into the tree. That's how I, I thought, well he he was dragging out the top like the opening of the sleeping bag. He dragged her out um yeah from her head and it's it's kind of hard to tell but Well I think he drags her out by her head but then he grabs her feet and I I, I really think he's bashing her head. Possibly. I seem to the first time I saw it I thought uh, and even rewatching it today I thought that he grabbed her head first. And and hit her like not in the legs, but maybe more towards like the the back area or something. Mm. Uh, but I'm sure that as he was swinging, he was you know moving up and around. I haven't seen the deleted scenes. I'm actually but. watching the deleted scenes as we speak. <laughs> and okay. yeah, in the deleted scenes, you can see that the opening is on the head side that he's hitting her in the head side. But okay. as the, as the scene is edited in the movie, it does look like he's grabbing her and hitting her feet on the tree. Yeah. Okay. Even the one strike, which is what we get in the theatrical cut, even that one strike is so brutal. It's one of the most brutal kills, and I just I think it's chilling. I find that part genuinely scary because it's, it's my vote for best horror movie kill of all time, Jason. Of all time, it, it is to me that as a, as someone who goes camping a lot, I like and like unlike Doc, I love being out in the woods. <laughs> And uh, and for me, that's the thing I think about every night when I go to sleep in my sleeping bag. Wow. Yeah. Well, and a, a couple things about that. And by the way, I wouldn't call the best for me is the first kill in Texas Chainsaw with the sledgehammer to the head. And then you get the yeah. drumming heels. That is so horrible. But as far as the Friday the 13th series goes, yeah. this has to be this has to be in the well, for me, definitely in the top three. Oh, man. Absolutely. It's interesting because it's so simple. Like there's there are so many creative kills. Like I really like what's her name? W.C. Voorhees in a part 
five. Her kill with the shears is awesome. Mm-hmm. There, are, you know, there are a million. You know, we've talked about the Kevin Bacon one all the time. There are a million great kills that are more creative, but it's something about the simplicity of it, and it's just you know, I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of more grounded for me. <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and and it shows his like power, and his strength. Yeah, his brute strength. It's just it's it's brutal. But you, the other thing I love about it, there's kind of a psychological aspect, which is when you're a kid and you're in your sleeping bag, you're like, well, as long as I'm down in my sleeping bag, I'm safe, you know. And you right. think you can hide from monsters and stuff, but man, you can't. Not from Jason, anyway. Yeah, I mean, we'll pick you up and smack you into a tree, and and I I watched that scene several times over and over just to kind of appreciate what was going on there. And it's interesting because the tree that he smacks her into is, is pretty narrow. Like, I mean like the circumference, it's not that big around really. Right. And um, I thought that was interesting too. But anyways, that, that just the highlight of this movie for me, a lot of people like the battle at the end and I think that's cool, but mm-hmm. you just can't beat it. Now, what did you guys think of the special effects with the psychokinesis, the telekinesis, moving stuff around? How do you think they pulled that off? I loved it. I like that it's all practical. I like that they did like the tree roots and stuff with wires. Uh, You know, that when when she moves the thing across the desk, they did that with a magnet. I think that's really cool. Yeah, that was obvious. Um, Now, see that matchbook moving across the desk? I didn't think that looked very good, and I could tell that was a magnet. And I like that about it though, because it feels again kind of grounded in in reality, hmm. as opposed to whatever they do now with some CGI matchbook. I don't know. I kind of right. like the way they did all these effects. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm with you. Yeah. So, so for me, this is an example of you know I, I talked about this last episode, but I think when the movies um, depart from kind of their core uh, themes of being at Camp Crystal Lake and killing teenagers. Um, the idea that you're introducing psychokinesis here seems like it would be a big problem. I think it, it's kind of um, balanced out by the fact that they are still kind of like in cabins in the woods and, and there's the teenagers, but um, I do, this is the time I start feeling like this doesn't belong in this franchise. I feel like this doesn't feel like a Jason movie in those telekinesis moments, but at the same time, You've got Kane Hodder in his first performance of Jason, mm-hmm. who, although I do have a few problems with his performance and portrayal at certain points of the film, which we can talk about in a minute, but overall, the look of Jason in this movie to me is the classic look of Jason. Yes. Um, right. I, I, I like the performance in part six a little bit better, but I do think that part seven is where it kind of like looks like the Jason I want it to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Yeah, I like so I that feel about very conflicted about the movie, you know, and, I, and, you know, I think story wise, it's weird. Like it's it's kind of bad, like part three is in terms of all these other teenagers are just there to have sex. And of all the and, movies, and, it's the one where they're like, this person's in this room having sex. And then this person's in this place. Having yeah, sex. I got to ask a quick question here because I've never been able to figure this out. Like one girl who dolls herself up. You know, to impress the guy. Maddie. Yeah, Maddie. Maddie. Why does she go outside looking for him? I don't know. Yeah, that I, that I thought that was odd, too. And I'm like, well, this is pretty poor character motivation. Because well, it's, she's, so it's, like, it's bizarre. It's yeah. like just having her go outside 
to be fodder for Jason. And it's a shame because they went through the trouble of turning her into, you know, like, of actually transforming this character into something. You would have liked to have seen her, how she would have done with this guy. Yeah, give her know? that moment. Yeah. <laughs> give her that moment, but they don't. They just, boom, throw her right outside and, and turn her into a victim. Well, maybe, and this is something that I feel like that Kyle Bishop would kind of hit on. Maybe they were just demonstrating how, uh, you know, in the Friday the 13th, what a tragedy it is how abruptly these young lives are cut, cut short, that they do not get to explore their futures and their hopes and so forth. It's just, well, that sounds bam. like the Roger Ebert quote. It's like these, two, they <laughs> only true. exist to die and they don't have any, uh, there's no joy to be had in life if you're a teenager. Basically. But, but I right. say it not as a criticism, but as um, an appreciation for the, the horror of the film, which is, man, you can't count on anything or plan on right. anything because you might be dead. That's, that's yeah, possibly, I suppose. Now, one thing I thought was interesting is I was looking through the um, the Crystal Lake memories. The, the girl, the main girl, you know, the, the Carrie of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she Tina. was, yeah, Tina. She was actually older. She was in her early, the, early to mid-20s and had been married five years, which she hid both facts wow. from the producers. Interesting. Wow. She, she hid did not want them to know. She hid the fact that she was married and she hid the fact that she was in her 20s from the producers, <laughs> you know, to, in order to in order to get the role. She talks in there of how, like, the director sometimes falls in love with the leading lady. And I don't know what this quote was about. I don't know if she was saying that because when you read everything about the director in, in Chris Lake Memories, he's praising her up and down. I mean, he's just like so enamored with her performance and everything about her you know like he just thought she was absolutely great and she did set herself apart from the rest of the cast members she was more like of a method sort of actor and she didn't really associate with the other actors and actresses in in the cabin during the shoot but the fact that 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 she that she pulled that off that she was able to hide that from them i thought that was that was interesting hmm I, yeah, I, I heard never that. heard that before. Actually, Same. I did hear that she didn't get along well with the actor who played Nick. That um, yeah, and it's funny they don't say anything specific as to why. She said it's not like we argued; we just didn't connect. Yeah, and it's funny because they're I guess they're friends now from going to the horror conventions, mm-hmm. and she she loves them now. But um, I think that I, they made that point, like that. Um, in the Crystal Lake memories that there several of them were were gay and some of them had not yet grasped their sexuality while making the movie. But a lot of I think one guy said it was gay central. Hmm. Wow, I didn't know that either. Yeah. I've never never heard that fact either. <laughs> of course you've got Terry Kaiser here who goes on to be his own kind of uh, return from the dead character in uh, Bernie from the weekend of Bernie's movies. <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing Dr. Cruz. Which, by the way, yeah. I really like him in this, in that role, because he's kind of despicable. He's got, and He's got a great moment, which is, a which is a, like you say, a despicable moment where he's out there with Tina's mom in the woods and Jason comes at them and he grabs her by the arms and uses her as a shield yes. so that Jason can't get to him. Right. He gets her killed, Man. which is an amazing right. moment, uh, character moment for him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, love, I love that because his whole character is just about um, exploiting this family anyway. And, um, yeah. Do you think this was an inspiration for Halloween Part 2, the Rob Zombie 
Halloween too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny how incestuous these franchises have become at this point. You almost can't even trace back which one is ripping from the other. So, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, did you guys like the fact that there's not a lot of um, Jason Voorhees lore in this? It, it seems like for a lot of the movie, the characters aren't really aware of, of who he is. There's, right. It, doesn't, no- it happens later. You're right. And, it's, and she finds the articles very late in the movie. Yeah. Like it after is- most of the people have been, have been killed. Now, one thing I thought was interesting is the way this movie opened. Mm-hmm. How it went back with scenes from part two, yes. part four, a uh, big portion of, a portion of part six, obviously. How it really sort of built that up and it, it made it like, you know, like, uh, like the legend, like somebody's telling the legend of Michael Myers. Yeah. No, I, I did really like the opening. You I like, like the way this movie opened. See, I don't like when they do like highlight footage, highlight reel, like rerun stuff like that at the beginning of a movie. I feel like it's padding it. I feel like it's cheap and it's like. Well, yeah, but I mean, you think if you think back to the people who were seeing this in the theater at the time, it had been a full year since they had seen the previous Friday the 13th. It's not like us where we're watching them back to back. No, I know that. You know, and I think with, like, if you're watching them all together, it's like, okay, well, this is a little bit repetitive. But I think for that for that audience member who's like, wow, yeah, that's right, I remember now. And it brings you back into the, back into the fold, so to speak. You know, to say, okay, this is, this is, now I'm ready to go. I get what you're saying, but my problem is just with the technique in general. Because if I were making a film, I think I would feel like, the film doesn't stand on its own if I did that. It's like, okay, I got to have all this rerun footage wow. at the beginning. And it, it feels like it like... It well, depends on how it's presented. It depends on how it's presented. Because if you think of The Road Warrior, the way it's presented at the beginning of that, it's like almost like iconic. Like like the way they're sort of worshipping Max. You know, and, and the way that the, the narrator is sort of worshipping when they're showing clips from Mad Max. But he's, he's presenting it in such a way that, that it's like this this sort of God, you know? And I, so it really depends on the way it's presented. And I liked the way they presented it at the beginning of this movie. Okay. What do you think, Josh? I don't know if I have an opinion on that. It, it does feel a little bit cheap to me as well, but I also agree with what Doc's saying that it does depend on the way it's presented. It didn't bother me particularly here. I think it makes sense because this movie takes place 10 years after part six. And so they're trying to set up, um, this guy's been at the bottom of the lake for a decade, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think it becomes important uh, to the story they're trying to tell. I think it's unfortunate for the franchise because again, it was already in the future um, for many of the films. And now you're 10 years in the film. This film was what made in 88 takes place in 2001. So that for me, that's just distracting thinking about the fashions Maybe it wasn't at the time that it came out because the fashions maybe matched the current day. But to right. go back and rewatch the franchise, it's like this is weird. <laughs> Everybody's and why is everybody dressed in the eight, like it's eighties and the you know late nineties, two thousands, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, that so that I don't know. That's my biggest distraction there. The other thing I think about when I think about this movie is Jason because as I mentioned, I think he looks great in this movie. You started to see some serious decay yeah. on yes. his body for the first time, like through his clothes, uh, which I think is cool. It's that classically he's got a chain around his neck because he's been 
chained to the bottom of uh, of the lake from from Tommy Jarvis for for a decade. Mm-hmm. Right. And I love all that, but and I think Kane Hodder eventually perfects Jason for me in part eight. I love his performance in part eight. Yes. Um, there are other Jasons in part eight. I don't love, but, but Kane Hodder is Jason <laughs> in part eight. I, I love, <laughs> I, I do have some problems with him in this movie. He's doing a lot of acting in the movie. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying. When like later on with, with the showdown, yeah, when the roots are coming at him, when, when he's strung up with all of that stuff, he's, he's not, the sort of just sort of determined Jason that we normally get. He's like, whoa, what, 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 you know? And I, I, I noticed that too. Yeah. A lot of emotion in his eyes and everything. And I, yeah, I would like him to just be a little more dead inside personally. Right. Um, Uh I do, I do like that. He's surprised, uh, you know, by a Tina. I like that. He's never met anybody that can stop him in his tracks before. So that's a fun idea. And that's one of the things I really like about this movie. Um, and so I do like the vine part and I do like some of those moments, but you know, his mask comes off at some point in this movie and I've expressed, you know, mm-hmm. my kind of distaste for the evolution of his makeup. It makes mm-hmm. sense. Now he's been at the bottom of the lake for 10 years, but he looks like a straight up monster. He doesn't even look, he looks doesn't like, resemble humanity anymore. Well, he looks like Skeletor the, is what he looks yeah, like. And it's funny because the director, got into, <laughs> yeah, the director got in, into a little bit of a tiff with the, with the producer over that. Um, the the uh, she the producer had said only have it come off at the very end on the dock. That should be when you do it. And the director's like, "Not nah, hell, that I'm going to do it earlier," because because the the producer's like, "He looks like a frog." <laughs> he goes, "He doesn't even look gloomy. He looks like a frog." Yeah, I, I dislike a lot of those scenes. The makeup the job they did, whatever, it's fine. It's pretty good, but I just don't like all that expression in Jason's face. I don't like seeing him going, eh, eh, burn, like, you know, right. like Scooby-Doo kind I, of character. But. I get right. that. But, but I will say in defense of it, I do like how he quickly just tunes back into the mission at hand. He's not afraid. He's not intimidated. He still wants to take her on and kill her. Yeah. Like, And I, I love that about his yeah. character. But I totally agree. Now that you mention it, I do wish he reacted a little less to that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And And you know what? I mean, I don't know if we're ready for this at this point, but... Of the three movies we're talking about tonight, I don't know if I want to get into that at this point, but Do it. Um, I was okay. They all have pretty awful endings. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, but but of the of the three, I think this is the least egregious. Which well, is saying something because at this point in the franchise, it's one of the most egregious. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes, well said. Now. Um, Here's the thing. I, I've, I've read this here. Let's see. This is from Wikipedia, just in case anybody cares about citing references. It says, the film received negative reviews from critics. John Carl Buchler, the director. Is that how you pronounce his name? I don't know. Sure. Why not? He, he created the special makeup effects for the film. He is credited with creating, quote, the definitive Jason in the audio commentary of the film from the series DVD box set. So do you agree with that? Because it sounded like you did feel like that this was the definitive look for Jason. Makeup wise, yeah. I prefer the performance of part six for myself, but look wise, this is Jason. Yeah. You guys have anything else you wanted to say? Uh, I, I did like the actress uh, who played the final girl. Mm-hmm. I thought a, she did a good job and, and I thought she was very easy on the eyes. 
I found um, her slightly grating, but she's so much better than most of the actors in the series. Mm-hmm. And she's one of the better actresses in, in this um, episode as well. And there's and there's a lot of people. People have a lot of sex in this movie. Yeah, it, it is the weirdest of, in like the most blatant of all the films, I think, of just like, OK, cut to the scene. We're off to have sex. Cut to the scene. We're off to have sex. It's right. so weird, you know, and um, and, you know, and they're not all like super gratuitous or whatever. You know? right. No, 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 hard, hardly. At all. I mean, there's only one that's like really sort of blatant with the nudity. I mean, there's even even with the skinny dipping, it's not as as straight on as it is. You know, and there's, there's the one girl who's, you know, with her top off and one it's more, you get to the side, you get a little flashes here and there, even with the sex scenes. But for the most part, yeah, they're, they're somewhat reserved. When, when well, you think about the, like a the sex skinny scene, dipping you know? scene's pretty revealing. It's, it's that jaws shot. Yeah. Which I thought. Oh well, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And if the lighting had been different, I'm just, wow. I'm like, wow. Yeah. And I know the director was proud of that. I've heard him say that on mm-hmm. commentary. Um, but yes, a lot of there was a lot more gore in this movie before, and I think that's it, it was cut in order to avoid the uh, X rating, of course. And I think that that's a shame. And you can see the the things that were cut, like they have um, the deleted scenes and stuff, and including that sleeping bag kill. It's funny. I was reading it again in Crystal Lake Memories. The director was saying he goes, as far as I'm concerned, the MPAA are censors. He goes, they, they act like censors. He goes, it's a, it's a bunch of housewives from Burbank, I think is the way he put it, who, who sit there and decide that they don't, you know, as, as to what everybody will say. Like he had a real distaste for the MPAA because of what they did to this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I could understand that. Absolutely. I mean, it's really, it really changes it. It really does. Yeah. Let's wrap up this review because we got two more good ones coming here. So, Sorry, I'll- can I just say one more thing? Yeah. Um, I think one of the worst actresses in the entire series is in this movie. I think she's atrocious and, uh, and I feel bad cause she's deceased now, <laughs> but you know, her career started in 1988 and ended in 1990 and it didn't surprise me based on this performance. I thought Susan Jennifer Sullivan, um, and I pardon my French as docs who he referred to as the bitch, uh, Melissa, she is terrible. <laughs> I, I found her really unbearable. Why do you? Moment she was on screen. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's true. She she was the bitch, but she didn't. Her line. She didn't were sell awful. it. She she didn't sell it like like others have. You know, it's so I, fake and just like put on. It's ugh, it was just revolting to see right. next to uh, Lar Park Lincoln's performance as Tina. Wow. Right. Do do you know? I I didn't. I think maybe I wonder if part of the reason she's off-putting to you is because her character is so unlikable. She's such no, a no. A witchy. Her, her performance is bad. I mean, like the, guy, the guy, yeah, the guy who played the doctor is very unlikable, but he he played it well. Mm-hmm. There, there's a her her death scene. The scene that it becomes her death scene is atrocious, and it's funny because they actually said this. That's the scene that got her cut. Uh, got her the part. Cause she ad libbed the F U and F U two line. Like that was like, right. she came up with that. And yeah. so that's, that's why they ended up casting her. But man, her performance is so cringeworthy. What happened this whole movie? Do you happen to know what happened to her? Cause how she died oh, in she real just, life? I, no, she died in 2009. Like she was even on the 30 years of Jason, uh, DVD interview, but 
she died before Crystal Lake Memories documentary came out between uh-huh. those two films. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, I was trying to see what happened, like how she died. I was just curious. Susan Jennifer Sullivan is her name. Yeah, it just fascinates me when you encounter an actor that died. Yeah, like that, but they won't say it anywhere. That's weird to me. She was relatively young. Yeah, she would not have been old. Um, here's a. I found her obituary. Let's see. No, it doesn't say in her obituary either. I wonder if it was suicide. A lot of times they won't say if it's yeah. suicide. I feel worse for about what I said now if it was suicide, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. So hopefully there weren't a lot of people telling her she was a horrible actress. Yeah. Okay. I think that's gonna wrap up this review. Let's go into our ratings and recommendations. I'll kick it off. To me, I think this is one of those middle of the road films for the franchise. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's too egregious or awful. I, I do wish he kind of didn't look quite so much like Skeletor at the end when his mask comes off. But the fact that he looks monstrous, I guess, is good. And the Carrie versus Jason, that's that's a tiny bit cheesy to me. But it's like, well, maybe it's maybe it's better every once in a while to just not have an unstoppable force against measly just humans right who are teenagers yeah so i don't know he's coming yeah yeah so maybe that's interesting to have some kind of a fight along the way but and i i do like how jason he still didn't care he's not afraid of anybody or anything and he just keeps coming no matter what and i think this is entertaining i actually had a good time watching this so it's decent um so it's like 5.5 for me, and I say rent it. What do you say, Wolfman Josh? Well, I thought the Camp Crystal Lake story uh, was a little underdeveloped. Not as bad as part three for me, but still just very formulaic feeling and kind of not well-rounded. And I thought the Tina story was a bit much. I didn't need to know that much about about this character, but... Um, <laughs> And and I also feel like when the you know as I said when it strays from the the formula, is when the franchise is on its weakest legs. But having said that, I actually really like Carrie versus Jason. I think it's a fun matchup between these two characters. Um, the film has my favorite kill of all time in it. It's got the, one of the best looking Jasons in it of all time. I don't love his performance uh, at the end when his mask is off, but. But still, it's pretty cool. Um, I like the practical effects. So yeah, it's it's middle of the road for me as well. It's on the higher end though for me. I'm gonna give it a six and say rent it. Okay, Doctor Shock. Um, yeah, I'd agree. I I like the Carrie versus Jason aspects of it. Again, because I like that that lead girl. Um, some of the kill you have the of course the 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 kill with the the sleeping bag is excellent and and some of the others that cut a little too soon but that's the mpaa um where it falters is i do think the mask came off a little too early you know that he was walking around for a little too long without the mask on Mm -hmm. uh i don't like where the mask ends up in this movie either which we didn't discuss but right and then and then just the way this movie ends are you kidding me (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, 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 how do you figure that? I mean, it, it just that really threw me. But it's above average for me too. I'm probably going to go with a, a six point five. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's that it would make it a rental. But again, if you're a completist, you're going to want this 
this is one that uh, you're going to want. Uh, and, and I think that it's one that I've seen it a few times and, and I do enjoy watching it. So, um, yeah, 6.5. Well, real quick, let's talk about those two things then because we did skip over them. Josh, you want to talk about where the mask ends up and then let's talk about the, the very ending of this real quick. Yeah, so, you know, at the very ending of this movie, um, Tina's father, who we are introduced to early in the film, <laughs> comes blasting through the floorboards right. of the dock with a chain in his hands. Because she brings him up, right? I mean, she resurrects yeah, she, him. Yeah, this time. she resurrects him. And he wraps that chain back around Jason's neck, just like uh, Tommy Jarvis had, and uh, sinks him back down to the bottom of Crystal Lake. Now, that is stupid and ridiculous and ruins the movie, but right. um, I do like that aspect. I mean, we'll get to in part nine, other ways to rid the world of Jason forever. I like keeping him in the bottom of crystal Lake. I think, yep. you know, I think there's a reason they go back to that three times or so, whatever it is during the <laughs> franchise <laughs> yes. is because I think it's an interesting place for him to rest. Um, right. So I do like that aspect of it, but yeah, the, the dad scene is very silly. Yeah, it is. It's it, but it's like, well, okay. In the first movie, he jumped up on the rowboat or whatever, and in the second movie, you know what I mean. It, it, there is a, there is a yeah. long-standing. And how do you beat Mrs. Voorhees jumping out of the water? I think this is the only way. Yeah, they, they, they can't. They, they can't. Crystal, the waters of Camp Crystal Lake have have healing powers. Yeah. And, you know, like what better way to end the movie than with a character you barely remember who he is? It would almost be better if Roy from part uh, five jumped out of the water. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Now, what did you want to say about the mask as well, where it ends up? You know, at the end of the movie, uh, they're taking Tina away in an ambulance in a very awkward way. And uh, the director of the film actually dressed as I can't remember if he's a fireman, EMT, something like that. He he comes by and he picks up Jason's mask and it's cracked in half. And so once again, <laughs> the end of Jason Voorhees. And I wonder, you know, especially after Doc talked about um the kind of dust up with the producer, if that was his way of saying like Jason's not going to be able to put the mask on in the next movie because he doesn't have it. I have it and I broke it in half. <laughs> but that does nothing to deter them uh, in part of it. <laughs> no, but I do love, by the way, I love that final shot like of the ambulance driving off. There's something about, and this won't register probably with most people, but there's something about the look of that, like the, the film, I don't know, it looks grainy, it looks like nostalgic. I just love, I'd like to actually have a, a still shot poster of that last shot. You know, and also uh, talking about that last scene, that was the only scene uh, where Lar Park Lincoln, the actress, didn't use real tears. That was the only time she let the makeup department come in and, and give her some fake tears. Hmm. Every other time in the movie, as Doc said, she was very um, method and she would cry every time she had to cry, which was most of the movie. And she suffered severe migraine headache, headaches during the production of the film because she was forcing herself to cry so much. Wow. That's... So by the end of the movie, when they shot that last shot, they asked her if they want, if she wanted the fake tears for the 200th time. And she said, yeah, might as well. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. Well, good on her. Okay. So that was our review of Friday the 13th, part seven, the new blood. 
All right, and at this point in episode 45 of Horror Movie Podcast, we're about to review Jason Takes Manhattan. But in order to do that, we had to bring in the big guns. He is the host of Horror on the Go, and he is a horror podcasting legend. We welcome back to the show, Bill Shetty. Thank you, gentlemen. It's always a pleasure being on HMP. Love it, guys. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Welcome back. Now, Thank you, guys. Now, Bill Shetty, before we get started in this review, just first things first, um, I know this is your favorite horror franchise. It is, sir. Yes. but um, And Wolfman Josh here is definitely an apologist for Part 8, but why is it that you wanted to review Part 8? A uh, little bit of a story. I don't know if I've said this on other shows before, but here goes, man. Back in 1989 was the year I graduated high school, was getting ready for college. <laughs> and I started making a little cheese of my own. So what did I do? I went out and bought a Laserdisc player, which was popular at the time. Nice. And what was the first movie I bought? Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. It is probably the Friday the 13th movie I have seen the most, gentlemen. <laughs> wow. Really? That blow your mind? <laughs> yes, <does>. it is. <laughs> I used to show it to all my buddies all through my college years. I had the player, and it was one that you had to flip the disc over manually, too, guys. It wasn't one of them automatic <laughs> ones. So. I remember that. Yeah. Yep, and and if your fans don't know, a laser disc player was a record player. If you know what that is, an album. And it was that size, size of a 33. <laughs> they were either gold or silver. And, um, yeah. man, they were great back then. That's when DTS Sound came out also. Mm. It was like a predecessor to THX. So, man, I was movie probably the most out of any movie in existence, guys, more than anything I've ever seen, to be honest. Wow, more than Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Oh, oh that's crazy. La Laserdisc was a magical time. I was, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you, but I, you know, for me, it was the first time I'd ever heard of a commentary track. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, I don't know, I didn't know on this film necessarily. Actually, I think it was Willow was the movie I, I first heard a commentary <laughs> on. But, mm -hmm. um, but I was blown away that you could sit there and listen to the filmmakers talk about the movie while you watch the movie. That concept was so new and amazing to me. So I, I, I looked forward to the day when DVD would come out and I could actually afford to buy one. I don't, you were, must have been a high roller back then. Yeah, they were around $1,000 back then, man. Yep, it was expensive, but, Crazy. you know. It was incredible, man. Doing that, you could skip tracks. I mean, up till then, you yeah. couldn't do any of this stuff, guys. Man. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember just how cool it was that those those laser discs were so gigantic. It's like a gigantic mm -hmm. CD, and that's like yep. hilarious to me. But it's an LP yeah, size CD, right? <laughs> we had a family friend who owned one, and I was just blown away. I'd, I'd go over and I'd, I was like, "Oh my god, this thing's incredible!" Yeah, they sure were, man. <laughs> Well, that's that's wonderful. Well, we thank you for being here. That's a great little prelude. And so at this point, we're going to move into our feature review of Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Now, New York 
as a new problem. Hey, this is Eric from Long Island. You're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Yep, Jason's revived by a boat that comes along, and he gets, I think it was a chain, right, guys? It gets wrapped around him, and of yeah. course, what happens? <laughs> he gets revived. Heads on the boat that's going towards Manhattan with a bunch of kids. And I love this movie. I am not apologetic at all. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Jason was back on the screen. <laughs> Different concept, unique, some cool kills in here. I liked pretty much all the characters in here. The final girl, not one of my favorites, but... um. You know, and this was the movie, I'll never forget this, too, because this was in all of uh, the documentaries and stuff. This was the movie where Kane Hodder refused to kick a dog. And, yeah, that, uh, that just always blows my mind. That, that, doesn't it? That he, he's Jason, he, he's Jason Voorhees. Um, he, he'll, he'll, he'll kill everybody in, in as vicious a way as possible, but Jason won't kick a dog. And you had a pretty big star in this. Peter Mark Richmond, who played Charles, the cover he was in this. He was pretty big. You know, he was in a lot of movies. He was in a lot of TV shows. I remember him on uh, Three's Company back in the... I remember remember seeing him in a lot of different things. He's one of those guys where you don't remember specifically everything you've seen him in, but you know you've seen him a lot. Yes, he's been in a lot of things. But this is fun times campy horror away from camp. I mean, there was a lot of talk about this. I know people get upset because there's not much happening in New York, but when he actually gets in New York and walking down the street, man, and sees the hockey mask and then walks by a couple thugs and he takes off his mask, we were clapping, cheering, man. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a. Did that give anybody else a little bit of like a crocodile Dundee vibe or not? Just curious. <laughs> no, no, but that was Bill Paxton in there, the one that stopped Jason. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep, he had the spiked hair and everything, man. Well, it was. Well, it what kills this movie, man. Well, let's see. I remember. Wait a second. I remember Bill Paxton in Terminator as a spiked hair punk. No, he's in this. When he stops Jason, what are you doing? Jason takes off his mask. One of them dudes is Bill Paxton, man. Nice. Oh, I didn't know that. But he yep. is, isn't that true though? Isn't he also the same? He is also in the Terminator. Yeah, same he's character. Also in the Terminator. <laughs> That's funny. Same, same type. Same type of character. Yes, but <laughs> yes, funny. he was also in the Terminator. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's Interesting. Neat. All right, so it sounds like Bill Shetty is unapologetic for this. Um, Josh, I know you like this film, but why? So why are you apologetic then? Should I say? Well, you're calling me apologetic. I, I feel kind of <laughs> like Bill. I, I like I like this movie. Um, now, I, you know, it's 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 always hard when you have loved a movie for so long, and then you have to come back and kind of watch it as a critic or with a critical eye. I've got a lot of problems with the movie, if I'm honest, but I, you know, but the truth is I just like to watch the movie and I think it's a fun movie to watch. I like things that take place on boats. <laughs> and so I'm having a good time when they're on the boat. And I think the story is kind of interesting. I think there are a few cool dynamics going on there. Um, and yeah, when Jason actually gets to Manhattan, he's a badass. That's one of the coolest 
scenes I've ever seen Jason walking through uh, Times Square. Mm-hmm. So wasn't it? Yeah, it's just cool. That is cool, and and I like how because they're all trapped on a boat. It's funny. This is really ironic because earlier tonight, Bill Shetty and I recorded a review for the Lazarus Effect, which is we're going to be covering. You'll hear that review in a couple of weeks. But it's funny because this the boat they're on is called the SS Lazarus, which is, you know, of course, referring to resurrection. But also um, there was one other parallel. Oh, the Lazarus effect and this movie are kind of like what I might call a reverse siege narrative where they're trapped in a in a killer and they can't escape the killer. Interesting. And that's kind of cool. The Lazarus Effect came up on the message boards this week because I was talking to uh, David, uh, one of our listeners, and he uh, threw out the term revenant. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with that term, but I wasn't. Um, and it's basically someone that comes back from the dead to wreak havoc. And it was we were talking about that question, what kind of monster is Jason really? And I don't know the, the, for sure if he fits that um, definition of a revenant, but to me, um, you know, the idea of someone that, you know, just it, it comes back from the dead. They're not a zombie, but they are kind of like a tortured soul, but they're physicalized. They're not a ghost. To me, that felt like Jason. And it's, I, th- I wondered if The Revenant was a similar type of, of film. Like nice. someone comes back from the dead and with the intention to kill. But so I, I, I liked that descriptor for Jason uh, of a Revenant. So thank you to David for introducing yeah. me to that term. That's brilliant. So Bill Shetty, is he a Revenant? I would say so, man. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta go with Josh. I'll tell you what, the one scene in this, man, I'll never forget this. Sorry for changing, but I just remembered this is, um, there's a, this is spoiler. We can spoil this movie, right? Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, okay, great. Okay, there's a scene where this boxer dude comes in counter with Jason. And he's (laughs) punching him. He's like, that's all right, I'm going after you. So he gives it his best, man. He's punching him <laughs> 10 times, man. Well, after he's done, can't move anymore. Jason just walls off and nails him in the head. Head comes flying off. Swear to God, guys, the whole theater stood up and started cheering in this part. man. Oh, wow. It was amazing. <laughs> like, this is how freaky us horror fans were for Friday the 13th back then, man. <laughs> it was just an incredible scene. <laughs> uh, poor Julius. No, that's yeah, great. Julius. That's it. And that one girl in this is hot. Tiffany's her name, her real name. I forget her last name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Are you talking about oh, um, Tiffany T- Paulson? Tamara? Paulson, that's it. The no, ta- Tiffany. Yeah. Okay. Tiffany she Paulson. plays Susie Donaldson at the beginning of the movie. I gotcha. Yep. Yeah. I like Jensen Daggard too. I think, uh, or Daggett. I think she's a, she's a good actress. I like her. Um, she's probably my second favorite final girl after part two, actually. Really? See, that was my one downfall with this in the ending. Of course. I, I don't know. She played too laid back type role, like not really engaged as an actor to me. I think like, it was she wasn't her first, excited. She, she mentioned it was her first acting job and I listened to the commentary for this movie and she was mortified watching her performance. Like that's, uh, yeah. by the way, you know, I've listened to the, as we're on the subject of commentaries, I've listened to the commentaries on all of these movies that it's available for. And some of, most of them are pretty good. Um, but 
eight is unbearable. The actors just talk about it's just actors and they just talk about their clothes and their hair the whole time. It's just like <laughs> uh-huh. miserable to listen to. But yeah, she was she was really kind of embarrassed of her performance <laughs> in the movie because it was one of her first jobs. Uh-huh. But I liked her. I think she's a likable actress. Totally. I liked uh, Tamara, you know, the witchy girl. I yeah. I I mean I like I like the the villainous girl which is pretty common in this series by this point. Um I it's it's always cool to me. But okay, so here's what I want to know from you guys. Yes, I I'm with you. I agree. Once once they hit New York, that's good. But the fact that he's on a boat most of the time that didn't bother anybody else here. I like that. Nope. What's wrong with being on a yeah, boat? That's a cool that's different. a cool location. Is it only because it's contrary to the title that that bugs you? Because it's actually a great location for the kills, and there are some awesome kills in this movie, I think. Actually, yeah, definitely. And the sound was incredible with all the echoes and stuff on the boat with the pipes and things. Well, my thing is, it's kind of weird because, you know, he is a um, woodsman of sorts, or at least he hangs out and dwells in the woods. And, And it's like, okay, well... Have you ever been on a boat? Well, where do you hide? I mean, it, it, I can't see him like squeezing into the broom closet and hiding for a little while. It's just weird that like, you know, he I, it's just kind of bizarre. Jay, to me. Do you know how big <laughs> these cruise lining boats are, man? Have you ever been on a cruise? Yes. In your life? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. They're huge, brother. No, I know. But still, it's like. You know, it's weird to me that it's he, dark. It's night. He's in the engine room and places like that. And the- <laughs> I, I just think he'd be spotted more uh, more often than not is the thing, and and that would kind of ruin it if I were Jason, because it's not as fun if you can't come out from behind a tree and. Jay, let your mind go, man. <laughs> Have fun with the movie. Well, I mean, when it says Jason takes Manhattan, but yes, that's the other reason, Josh, because of the title thing. I mean, I I wanted him to be in Manhattan a lot more, more than he and is. and actually take it. Yeah, it's like take it, <laughs> take it somewhere, kind of like the Muppets did, you know. Something yeah, I, like that. I love the uh, subway scene in Manhattan. I mean, that is a cool scene as well. Yeah, with Jason, that's the big, hardest thing to wrap your head around in this movie is. Why does he get on the boat? What is his goal here? Why, when he gets to New York, is he still following these kids instead of just killing everything in sight? We don't really understand his motivations because usually he's trying to get back to Crystal Lake. But um, there are a lot of questions to ask if you start asking them. But I do think that scene on the subway is cool. And again, like Kane Hodder's performance in this is impeccable. I love him as Jason in this movie. Brings it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I it's funny because I've had problems with this movie in the past and you know, the more I actually like the boat scene, the more I watch it, the more I actually appreciate the scenes on the boat. And they never have bothered me. You know, the fact that the, the first part of the movie takes place on a boat never really did bother me. It's, it's always been. And, and yes, yeah, some of the, the scenes when he gets to New York, they are they are cool. I just wish he had done more there. I mean, the only people he takes out are, you know, we have Jason as hero taking out the two druggies who are about to rape the girl. And then he takes out a cop completely off screen. You know, we don't don't actually see what happens there. Other than that, he's just spending his time going after the same people who were on the boat. And I think this might be the first movie in the franchise where somebody threatened Jason and wasn't killed. Mm. You know, the kid who 
Yeah. He just showed him his, his face and, and, and let the guy go. I would have <laughs> liked to have seen him. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen him cut loose a little bit more in New York. It, they say Jason takes Manhattan, and it always struck me as Jason takes a stroll through Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want him to do? Get on a train and start doing well, some mass homicide? Well, I want him to do. I want him to do what he's done in all the other movies. Yeah. He never. He never differentiated between here's who I'm after. Yeah, he just killed. He was a killing kill. machine. Yeah, but he's never killed 50, 60, 70 people, man. He's got a mission. He's going after the people that went by. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. In the other movies, his mission was kill who I find. No, not true. I mean, back up, man. He didn't kill any kids, man, when he went in there in part. I'm... What helped me six guys? Six, yeah, well, in part six, he went over to the girl's bed, and then something distracted him, and he went outside. Yeah, well, yeah no, he didn't kill. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't kill the kids in part six, but point to another part in, uh, example in the series where he didn't kill somebody he came across. Good point, but I don't. <laughs> I never expected like hundreds of kills. No, no, no. I didn't expect him to go in and do all of these mass killings and just start like slaughtering people left and right. I did expect him to make his presence a little bit more known in Manhattan well, well, yeah, than he ultimately did. Yeah, but then did. they would have had to bring in cops and air freaking helicopters. That would have been great. No. I, I, yeah. I, I tell you what, I mean, when you, hear Jason, when, you hear, when you hear Jason takes Manhattan, you, he, you're thinking, okay, maybe he's going to take Manhattan. Maybe he's going <laughs> to do what he can to take manhattan and he can't be killed so what are the cops gonna do like a modern day king kong bill shetty like taking that title that literal doc come on man well they they, they gave it they gave it that title why wouldn't we take it literal that's they that's the (laughs) title they gave it doc our favorite movie was it a chainsaw massacre was it a massacre brother come on no No, but I mean, but come on. I mean, this movie, people are like, oh, this is going to be so cool. Jason's going to go into Manhattan. I can't wait to see what he does there. And he chases the same kids he was chasing on the boat. Okay, I'll give you an example. Because I'm with Doc on this, actually. And I I agree. There should have been a lot more killing in Manhattan. But what about that diner that he, I mean, he just lets all the diners live. And it's like, that is a huge missed opportunity in this film where he could have just, uh, like, just wreaked havoc and slaughtered everybody in that diner. That would have been insane. That would have been way too kitschy, man. I mean, he's not going to go through kill. Yeah, I'm telling you, if it got all goofy like that and cops are surrounding him and helicopters, he was going after the people that he wanted to kill, man. I didn't want to see any more. I mean, there could have been some more. But I don't want it to get ridiculous either. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> All you really need is him to kill one person, the first person he sees when he comes in the door, and everybody else runs for it. You know, but that's I true. Mean, I think the title is. Um, <clears throat> I think you guys are taking it a little too seriously because it's yeah. clearly just riffing off of the Muppets Take Manhattan. They they knew they weren't going to have to take Jason to New York, and they thought, oh, this would be funny to call it this this you know familiar title, and it's you know it is funny. But it, it, it's a cool idea, and it's a cool poster, and it does look. I think like, I think the Muppets made more of a made more of an impact on Manhattan than Jason did, and, and it does look like Crocodile Dundee. You know, I think that yeah. I think that was the poster is clearly riffing off the Crocodile Dundee poster. Well, let's change it. Jason visits New York. Would you have been happier? Would have you got another point out of your? Dad? If they had said if they had said Jason in New York, 
I probably would not have had. I, I'm not saying even that it's takes. I still would have had issues with him <laughs> passing up opportunities. Like the guy who challenges him, he throws him into a mirror. Okay, did he kill him? I don't think so. I think he knocked him out. All <laughs> these people that Jason in any other movie would kill, he doesn't. He's, he's not interested in killing them all of a sudden, and I don't know why. There is the way that guy who throws project stock. He's going after the kids on the boat. So this but I'm saying, but I'm saying it. Look at this. Look, it's always about him going after the counselors. Well, how many times did he kill other people because he happened to come across them in part <laughs> six? He killed the guy who was the caretaker of the cemetery because he happened to come across them. He killed the couple, old, you know, the, the married couple in the woods because he happened to come across them. Yeah, well, six and seven ain't my strongest part of the series either, so I'm not going to say anything about them. Well, okay, let's go back to part two when he saw Crazy Ralph. He was outside of the norm. He killed the cop. He was outside of the norm because he found them. Hey, they're here. Let's kill them. But they're coming into his territory. Jason's in somebody else's territory. So I didn't realize he had. I didn't realize he had that kind of respect for other people's territory. I think he does. Doc. <laughs> That's what I like about him. He's a gentleman. Oh yeah, um, and a scholar, obviously. Come but- on, Doc. Seriously, could you imagine him going on a subway or something, traveling, and then just slicing up like? 30, 40 people. I can imagine going onto a subway and coming across a few thugs who stand up to him and him taking them out. I can imagine him actually killing those four or going after those four kids who pulled the knife on him as instead of, you know, showing the mask. Showing the mask was kind of a funny joke. I'll give it that. That was kind of a funny scene. And yeah, I, I can see where people would really get a kick out of that. But it really is the first time anybody has threatened Jason and lived. But he's you actually know. timid when he's not in his camp, brother. Uh, although on the boat he wasn't he wasn't in his camp and it didn't seem to slow him down there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Right, well, well, <laughs> I love this guy. Man. And you know and you know what? And I'll be honest with you. I actually like the movie a little more each time I see it. I really do. It's it's not and this 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 you know, the the part with New York is always gonna bother me a little bit. But the other scenes, like especially on the boat, this time through, I actually really did like them even more than I liked them before. So it's not like this is this is far from this is far from the worst movie in the series. You know, it definitely does have its strong points. It's actually just one away from the worst movie in the series. Well, I don't quite go. I don't quite go that far with it. But just hey, Josh, did you like the camera angle in the scene where? The um, captain has his uh, throat slit, man. Oh, How they man, did that? that is insane. That was, they just, that was handled really well. And yes. I'm surprised the, the MPAA let that go a little more than I thought they would have. Because you start to see the neck come apart. You wow. know? I, <laughs> exactly. It's crazy. It's so subtle. And you think about some of the bigger kills that have been in this series that are just like crazy gore. You know, someone being impaled or whatever. But there's something about how, like quiet that moment is how still yeah, it is right. it's ter- it's actually terrifying yes it is. Uh, just to see and, that that neck get slid and actually the one right before that disturbed me a little more the guy had just gotten done saying he has a 19 month old kid and jason <laughs> yeah. just walks in and stabs him right in the back like doesn't even give it a thought just boom this guy's in my way he's dead yeah a few times in fact but the boat kill that really bothers me in this and and it's it's the jj the guitar girl 
if you watch that and you don't have to watch it very closely, he goes to swing the guitar at her to bash her in the head, which is a subjective point of view. Us, the audience, the camera looking from her perspective. And then we see blood splat all over the camera before the guitar even gets to her head. So the blood splats before the strike hits. And I'm oh, like, you're very picky. Were you watching this frame by frame? No, that's what, that's <laughs> my point. Wolfman, that's my point. It's so blatant. It's like, yeah. how did they let that by? I mean, you guys, come on, guys. I've never noticed that. So I, 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 I can't be honest. I didn't notice it either. It's very noticeable, you Mm. <laughs> we're very divided on this thank, topic. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> it is, well, it is. I have seen it a lot. I don't know if it was that noticeable the first time I've seen it. <laughs> this is, <laughs> that is the worst character. I think that feels like the cheapest kind of, there's no reason for this character to be in the movie except to be killed with a guitar. Um, it feels super awkward, but there, I think there are, for the most part, I like a lot of these little side stories that are going on in the boat and the, the blackmail and all that stuff is really cool. I thought yeah. mm-hmm. I, I again I don't I enjoy the the boat. I, I think the boat is um I think has some of the move some of the film's strongest scenes are on the boat. I really do. Yeah. Now the problems that I have with it are all the scenes with little Jason. For one, oh, man. he has three or four different makeup looks in this movie that are totally different from one another. It's right. not even one of the scenes that looks like a little Asian man. Like it looks like Ken Jeong from Yeah, Kenji. I noticed that. I know it comes that. out of the mirror. Yeah. It, I'm like, gosh, is that? it's a dream sequence, man. She's just seeing it how it is. It doesn't have to be that succinct, man, each time. I, You're taking I get it. it. I get why she's having them in part seven. I don't get why this girl I mean, you know, we are given the reason, but it just isn't and and I think the reason truthfully is they were hoping to get the same actress from part seven and then she didn't sign the contract. Um, and so they had to kind of like rework the story they had. But I, I think the initial thing was it was going to be the same actress from part seven. And then there would be a reason for Jason to be going after all these places because he wants revenge on the one person that could fight him. Basically. Well, you know what? That would have that would have made if, if it was her, if it was that same character, that would have made more sense. Definitely. All the, all the vision dream sequences would have made more sense. And the reason why he's still chasing her even through Manhattan past all these other people would make more sense. Yeah. That was their intention. You know, they asked her to sign the a contract before they had actually finished the screenplay. And she said, you know, I want to see the screenplay first. She still, she wanted to play the character again, but she didn't want to sign without seeing something. And so they just moved on. Uh, well, sure. so can we talk about this ending? Cause this ending is just atrocious to me. Does that bother anybody else that this, um, toxic sludge makes him into little Jason and all of a sudden yeah. he has these um, swimming trunks or whatever. It's like, like for real, like it, this is, this is what you guys came up with. It, I end. didn't think it was, yeah, I didn't like, I didn't like the ending either. And I think it's kind of funny how it didn't seem to phase them that he turned into a child. Yeah. It's like toxic sludge. It seems normal. It doesn't make yeah. you into a little kid again. I mean, that's just, it's offensive to well, the it's kind of like intellect. a werewolf movie where they kill the werewolf and then the humans left there. I think that's what they were going for. The idea that like they killed the monster and all that's left is this little boy that didn't do anything. I see. It right. is so dumb outside of part <laughs> nine with him transferring body to body. When his heart gets eaten, this is takes the cake of the dumbest thing they could have possibly did in the series. Man, <laughs> it's absolutely stupid. 
Yeah. 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 Definitely. It is sad. And and Doc, a little bit ago when I said um this film is only one away from the first film. I just meant, I didn't mean it was the second worst. I just meant that the next one is part nine, so. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. I mean, we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit, but when you're watching part nine, you want to watch any of the other ones that came before it, and that's including part eight for me. I mean, that's, that's you know, it's, I would rather watch anything. I can't put five into it. But anything from one to four or six, before I'd want to watch part nine again. Oh, I'd watch five a million times a day before nine. I swear to God, this <laughs> is no joke, guys. Friday the 13th, part nine, Jason Goes to Hell, is the only movie in my life I've walked out of. Wow. wow. So upset. Me and all my buddies took off. We couldn't <laughs> believe where they took it. It's the only movie in my life, and I've went to the movies a million times, man. So, Jeez, and this, is, and this is your franchise. That's amazing. This is it, and I was so disappointed. I wasn't happy with 10 either. There was a lot of things there, too, but, I mean, I just, I was sickened, man. All of us were that went, man. We had, like, 20 people that went. We're like, what? <laughs> what are they doing with this beginning that was so cool and then, He's eating his heart, and now he's walking by a mirror, and that's just like, what are they doing, man? It's crazy dumb, man. So have you never finished that film, or did you watch it? No, I have finished it. There's some good kills in it, but uh, it's a blasphemy, man. I'll take five any day over nine. <laughs> Understand. Yes. I'm, I'm glad we're discussing part nine a little before we get to it because it makes this film look so much better by comparison. <laughs> it really, it, it does. And and like I said, it's not like Jason Takes Manhattan is one of is the worst in this. I really don't. I don't rank it quite there. I just thought there were some missed opportunities in, in New York, but you yeah. Know. But and I did like the the scene with the kill with the fight and. You know, the guy's going crazy, and he looks at Jason and goes, okay, take your best shot. Well, Jason did take his best shot, and it was a pretty damn good one. (laughs) I think this is a very watchable film. I've got, as a fan of the franchise, I've got a few minor nitpicks like you guys were talking about when he gets to Manhattan and what, you know, what is his motivation, I guess. Um, And then I really hate all the stuff with little Jason. Although I will say that first shot at the porthole, that's actually a really cool looking shot, but it just, I don't get why and what what's happening. But other than that, this is a really fun, watchable movie. I think it's a really great kind of example of 80 slashers. Um, You know, the fun ones, it's fun. And you know, it's just full of dumb kills and it's, it's great. And, um, I, I was looking on Rotten Tomatoes. This has a nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's insanity oh, to me. That's, yeah, that's that's kind of that's mm-hmm. a little that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't. It's not that. It's not that bad. You know. Come on. Mm-mm. Yeah, I agree. Well, I did like speaking of things we liked. I liked when he gets stabbed in the eye. And in like that, like goop or blood kind of <laughs> pours out, and he just barely right. reacts to it. And right. despite. The complaints that we had about the way the film goes in New York and how he's not like just killing everybody around. I do I do like how this film on the boat, it really illustrates well how this guy just has one purpose and one purpose alone. He just wants to kill people and that's all he is there to do. And I like how um, that's portrayed and I think it comes across well. So I admire that. I, I think that is why the subway feels like a bit of a disappointment because, again, I think the setting of the boat is awesome for that reason. You're stuck on this boat with Jason. There's nowhere to go. 
And I think you could have really taken that up a notch in the subway. I'm not saying he has to slaughter every person with a cool kill, but I just, right. just to see him a, try to attack and the mayhem that would ensue could have been a cool scene on a subway. But, um, but yeah, I, I, again, I love the boat. It feels like a Agatha Christie, uh, death on the Nile kind of a thing. You know, there's a, <laughs> yeah. so that's fun to me. I like the, like the little scenes that are happening in each compartment and then some people are getting picked off one by one. It's, that's a fun setup. I thought you want Jason to be Rambo. All three of you guys, man. I just don't think. No, I, I don't want him to be Rambo, but come on in New York. Mind you can't find in New York. You can't find a couple of a pain in the asses to go up and challenge him. <laughs> I just want him to be a mindless killer. I want him to walk in a door and see somebody and have to kill them. I want him to feel compelled to kill every person he sees. But again, that's a nitpick for me. That's not a big complaint for me. That's a I think that's you looking back now, Doc. I don't think at the time when you seen this, you cared. You might have a little bit. Like I said, there was a little disappointment. There wasn't more footage in New York. Not that there wasn't more kills, but I don't recall anybody really wanting him to go that's well, crazy. I think part of it. I think part of it was that we had already. By the time he got to New York, there already were a lot of kills, you know, from the boat. So it's not like we. He went into. You know, it's not like we didn't get the kills already. You know, and then some of the scenes in New York, and it really does get to like the dirty portions of New York. Right. I mean, this is. They're mostly in the alleys. I mean, they're mostly in back alleys in this movie. Right. Which yep. is great. And and the when the what happens with. With Uncle Charles. I mean, he's got to be one of the most loathsome characters. And the actor played him well. But, every, you know, the, he's, he's got to be one of these guys you just, you want to see. He's the one you want to see Jason get. And what he did oh, yeah. to him was was satisfying. Putting him in that thing that you saw earlier, that barrel with the green goo and the yeah, dead yeah. rats floating in it and everything. I mean, that was kind of a fitting end for this dude. Yeah, that was another cheering section, man, because he's pretty rotten for what he did, you know what I mean, for his niece. And see, Josh, I liked all the baby Jason scenes, except, you know, the ending, of course. I liked the story, how it tied together, that, you know, he was pulling her down when they were little, she couldn't swim. I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, it goes to her demeanor where I was saying she wasn't a great actress. I still don't think she is. But yeah. that's why she was. You know, kind I just of don't get aloof. why she's having visions in a mirror. Like she doesn't. She's not like our character in Part Seven. She's just a regular lady. I get. Yeah, she's scared to go on the boat. Like that's that's set up. You know, she has a fear of water, all that stuff. Well, she's so. remembering all this from childhood, man. This is her yeah. first time on a boat. He made her go on this boat trip, basically. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, well, actually, he didn't want her to go on the this time. But, well, yeah. it's true, but you got <laughs> yeah. to see baby jason a bunch of times which you didn't in any other movie except well, that was a problem for me because they did his did, I, i'm not joking they did his makeup four different ways in the movie and they don't match like it's like what this is a this looks like a different character like that's what i was trying to figure out is this meant to be jason before he was drowned like he doesn't look like a mongloid and this one this one he looks like a mutant like it was very <laughs> this one he looks like a small asian man like it just was very very weird oh man <laughs> you guys are funny over here man <laughs> <laughs> we think you're funny so here's my question for you bill Shetty. Yes, you said sir. you like the baby jason stuff i did like the baby jason would you adopt a baby jason <laughs> <laughs> Just, mm, I don't think so. No, I'm just wondering. 
<laughs> Just wondering. Now that comes. That's a lot of baggage that comes with adopting a kid like that. <laughs> but with the series that had incredible endings, many of them, to go to this pile of crud that this had is disheartening, man. And that's where yeah, I'm yeah. coming down on the film because pretty much everything else I really liked. And Jason was always wet. I know they did it on purpose. I thought it was goofy. And we all knew it in the theater. We were saying it back then, man, like this guy don't dry off, man. He's always sobbing, soaking wet. It's goofy. You know, it just wasn't realistic. It's it's over the top. Maybe that's where he hid. Maybe he hid down in the water and was hanging onto the boat to lay low. But, you know, if you look at the other films that came out in 1989, the other big horror releases, we had Pet Cemetery, which to me is still... Um, probably my scariest horror movie for me personally. You had A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, you had Shocker, and you had Halloween 5. So how do you guys think that this holds up compared to all of those? This is number one. Really? Absolutely. To me. Well, I mean, I, I have to be with you, Jay. I like Pet Cemetery too, but the other ones, I think it definitely kind of holds its own with those. You know? Yeah, that's how I feel. And I like Halloween Five. I'm not. I don't dislike Halloween Five. I like Halloween Five, um, but you know, I think it kind of fits right into the fits right in with uh with a lot of those. It definitely holds its own. Come on, Josh. Let's hear your Halloween spiel. Why was Five so much better, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I I totally agree with Doc. I think uh, for me, this probably ties with Pet Cemetery. Although I would watch this. Way more often than I would watch Pet Cemetery in terms Hell, of just yeah. throwing something in. Incorrect. But then it's better than every other movie that came out that year for sure. You guys, Pet Cemetery is way better than this film. <laughs> just saying. Not it's even. just not a fun movie to watch, though. You're yeah. not going to throw it in anytime. Well, it's it's not fun because it's so freaking scary. And- Here's something fun about this movie. Jensen Daggett's wardrobe is so crazily cheesy 80s. And the best thing about that is this movie takes place in 2003. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I guess that's true. Nice. That's, that's, that's a me. good point. Now, isn't it true? You said you listened to the commentary for this one, Josh. Yes, sir. Then the director, Rob Hedden, didn't he say that, um, that he also felt that there should have been more time in Manhattan, but it was it came down to like scheduling and the budget and all that stuff. And that's why they didn't spend more time there. Um, I, I've heard that. Yeah. I, that's not, he's not on the commentary that I listened to. I bought the, I am listening to the one that's in the eight movie pack of the oh, first eight okay. movies. So I don't know that's if he's, I don't know if he's interviewed elsewhere, but oh, okay. um, not on, yeah. not on this commentary. He did say that all budgetary. He wanted more shots there, but they didn't get the money and they, they actually went back to the production company, if I'm not mistaken, and they wouldn't do it. So he Man. did one. Oh, that's a shame. That is a shame. a shame. Yeah, it really is. Cause no, I think that I, I've been picking on this film a lot, but honestly, I think it has some good potential. I really appreciate some things about it, but for me, I honestly, if I kept, I just keep thinking of Crocodile Dundee when I see this movie. It reminds me a lot of that because it's the whole <laughs> fish out of water thing. And well, I think that was probably an influence on. I mean, it came out what like three years earlier. Yeah, the, exactly. The poster is definitely riffing on it. So yeah, yeah. And speaking of the poster, I've already mentioned it's my favorite of all time. But um, the DVD case, if you buy the single DVD of this, it's the artwork that's also on IMDb.com. It is some of the worst Friday the 13th artwork I've ever seen. It's the ugliest 
oh yeah jason mask you'll ever see in your life and it's a, such a shame not just because it's cheap looking like your complaint was with uh part five but it, <laughs> yeah it's a shame because it's replacing one of the coolest horror movie posters of all time and so that that bums me out but yeah I, so luckily i was able to buy the eight pack set and erase that from my memory yeah exactly one thing I wanted to say is uh, that cook that Jason throws against the window or the mirror in the diner, that's actually a stuntman, Ken Kierzinger, who went on to mm-hmm. play Jason in Freddy vs. Jason. He was the <laughs> next Jason after Kane Hodder. So that's kind of yep. cool. Interesting. That's yeah. great. He's a big guy. I mean, you could definitely see him. Huge. All right. Well, um, if you guys are ready to wrap up, we can go to our ratings and recommendations and let's start with the mad doctor himself dr shock what do you say about friday the 13th part eight jason takes manhattan you know i'm actually going to come in higher than i ever have before in this film but it's still not going to be it's going i'm going to say i've always been below a five but i'm going to actually say 5.5 and it is worth checking it's definitely worth a watch you know it's definitely worth checking out um, and, uh, you know, I, as a completist, I own it. If you're a completist, you'd want to pick it up. Whereas with part five, you can go right from four to six. This is one, I think it fits in with, with the series. So it's, it's definitely worth, uh, watching. And if you're a completist picking it up, but I'm going to say it's a, it's a, a rental. Mm-hmm. Okay. 5.5 out of 10 and a rental. And I'll just go next. Cause Dr. Shock, that's exactly how I feel. It's a 5.5 to me. I think it's a rental as well. And honestly, there is something novel about this film, meaning I think it's kind of unique to the series. It's unusual. Jason on a boat, which is kind of cool because we don't get a ton of Jason on a boat, even though it's mostly set around Camp Crystal Lake, right? right. So so that's kind of neat to have Jason on a boat, and also it's neat to have him in New York City. And, but, and it's funny because a lot of people do pick on it because he's on a boat, but I really do like the scenes set on a boat. I mean, like the guys are saying, when he was, the scene with the captain alone is really handled very well. Brutal, yeah. Yeah, so I'm with you, Doc. 5.5, I say rent it. What do you say, Bill Shetty? This is my sixth favorite so it's right in the middle of the pack this is a <laughs> solid eight i own it so should your fans buy part eight guys <laughs> all right and wolfman josh this is uh probably my third or fourth favorite film in the franchise um i, th- I think it's a lot of fun to watch and um it it definitely has problems you know that i notice now but it has so much nostalgia for me um, this came at a time when I was really, you know, getting into horror movies and watching a lot of eighties horror. And this was just another great installment for me at that time. And so I, I really appreciated it. And that has carried over quite a bit it, narratively. If you're taking the whole franchise into consideration, um, I've got some problems with baby Jason. I've got some problems with Jason's, uh, motivations in New York city. What, why is he doing what he's doing? But, um, but in the movies that are like this, even though he's not in Crystal Lake, this is the one of the few times that breaks the um, the kind of uh, formula that isn't terrible. Because I think every other time they break the formula, it's it's the worst. I mean, this is one that that breaks it, and it's still effective and and still fun to watch. So I, I give this one a seven for me. 
and uh, and I like it. And it is streaming for free again on Amazon and Netflix. So if people haven't seen it, they should definitely check it out. Well, and just for the record, just for you two guys, Bill Shady and Wolfman would have been a 6.5 to me, but I had to take off a whole point for that ending because yeah. for real, the, the ending is hard to stomach to me. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, but it's so, true. But anyways. All right, so um, listeners, we want to know your ratings. Make sure you leave us a comment in the show notes for episode 45 here and tell us what you think of Jason Takes Manhattan. But uh, we're grateful for the great Bill Shetty for joining us tonight. We're glad to have you, buddy. And why don't you tell the listeners where they can catch up with you more. Thank you guys again. It's always a pleasure being on your show. HorrorontheGo.com and get the Google Play app on the Google Play Store, guys. iOS coming soon. Thank you guys again. Love being here. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you, man. Sir. And now we are joined by a very special guest, Matroid. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going. Certainly going well. How are you guys doing? Good. Matt's been on the show, of course, before. If you If you missed it, you should definitely check out our uh, When Science Goes Too Far episode mm-hmm. was a blast, and Matt did a great job. And Matt is also the brand new host of a brand new podcast called The Sci-Fi Podcast. <laughs> and you can find that at the scifipodcast.com. The first episode just went up, and there's going to be a new one every other Thursday, it looks like. Is that correct? That is correct. And I, I listened to it today uh, to kind of you know, listen to it a little bit before everyone else. I say the word absolutely like a thousand times. So do I. I say that a lot. I'm going to do my best to not say it at all today. When we were were discussing horror movie podcast t-shirts at one point, I thought one would just be absolutely would be what it says. Cause I think we all say that all the time. Absolutely. You do. Yes, I do. (laughs) I know I do. So I'm a regular listener to the show. So I, I pick up on kind of what everybody's saying. So you realize how much I say like? (laughs) Yeah, but I've got a teenage son, so nobody says more than he does. (laughs) That's true. Well, I I just genuinely want to say, Matt, that I'm really excited for the sci-fi podcast. And I'm a big fan of yours, actually, after our When Science Goes Too Far episode. So I can't wait to hear more of you. And I'm honored to have you on this show with us. And I just want to put out a request, if I can. Of course. Right away. I'd love to hear you guys go deep and cover one of the greatest, most underrated sci-fi films, and that's uh, Minority Report. Yeah, we're not going to do that one. <laughs> no, I'm just brutal. kidding. Uh, I'm, a huge, I'm a huge fan, actually. I, I like Tom Cruise quite a bit, and I love that movie. I like Philip K. Dick's, all of his stuff. And I know it's a loose adaptation, but uh, yeah. And, and they're doing a TV show coming up on that, too. It just got kind of picked up. So Neat. Um, it's interesting. But yeah, we'll be covering Minority Report. I think Liz likes that, too. And she's my wife. She's a co-host. So, yeah, that'll be great. Awesome. Yeah. And that is a recommendation I'm happy to take on. So thank you. Oh, great. Yeah, I'd kiss that movie on the lips. I would. <laughs> and speaking That's of what... sci-fi TV shows, you guys are doing uh, the 12 Monkeys movie and the new TV show pretty soon here as well. Yeah, the next show. So episode three, uh, I'll yeah, I'm the host, but Liz will be um, moderating that one. She'll kind of be taking the reins on that. And she decided to do uh, Twelve Monkeys is the focus and post apocalyptic uh, science fiction. So that's really cool. Twelve Monkeys is one of the all time greats. So that'll be a really fun one. And uh, the other co host, um, William, 
uh, solo junior. He's a little nuts. So just <laughs> if nothing else, tune in to listen to that guy just talk. Yes. All right. Well, at this point, we're excited to have everybody here. Dr. Shock, Wolfman Josh, and Metroid. So we're going to move into our final review of the night. Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday from 1993. Horror has many faces. Death wears many different masks. But pure evil wears only one. And this is your final chance to see it. Jason goes to hell the final Friday. Okay, so uh, Jason Goes to Hell is basically the story of his kind of like his... uh, I don't know. I don't want to say his origins, but sort of. It's it's based on who Jason is. They kind of did a somewhat of an explanation as to Jason Voorhees because no one needed it. So, but it's basically <laughs> up to the last descendant of the Voorhees family to stop him before he becomes immortal and is unstoppable, which I thought he was before. Uh, <laughs> I, that, that's the premise, more or less. It's quite confusing. Yeah, it, confusing is the perfect word for this. Actually, it really is. So, I mean, when I first talked to you about doing this, I was actually approaching you to do Jason X because you're the sci-fi guy. And you said, oh, I could do uh, Jason Goes to Hell as well. That's one of my favorites of the series. <laughs> and um, I misspoke. And, <laughs> and uh, that was, that, I thought that was interesting. I hadn't seen this movie since, the very first, since it came out in theaters. And, uh, and I think you told me you hadn't either. But I got a text from you while you were watching the movie. And do you remember what you texted it was pretty poignant i thought yeah i can read it right here jason goes to hell should go to hell <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. was essentially the uh oh my goodness i why i told movie. you i thought this was a great movie i have no idea i think i followed it up with when you said i thought you loved it i said well i used to love corn the band too so here we are <laughs> uh, here's the thing And I know I really try not to get too precious about franchises or characters because that's kind of ridiculous when people do that. But this kind of murders the whole story and the character of Jason and who he is. This whole, you know, swapping around, like inhabiting different bodies. I mean, that is just so offensive to me. It's not that it's a bad horror conceit. Um, you know, we've seen this kind of thing before. It's kind of a body snatcher idea. Right. And as we know, the Necronomicon plays a role in this film. So there's some familiar stuff there. But um, I don't know. It's just within this franchise, this film, and it's crazy the difference between part eight and I guess this is part nine, technically, how big a difference there is between those films. They, they, it feels completely different. Like it's a totally different universe. Jason, even when he's playing Jason, doesn't feel like the character we've ever seen before, even though it's played by the same actor that's been in the last two movies. So mm-hmm. I don't know, man. This movie is so strange and you terrible. Know, he, just miserable. When uh, when they're lighting him up at the beginning, he gives out this bellow like he's never been hurt before. <laughs> it might be the worst thing ever. He's like, Ugh. Like, come on, man. I mean, it's like just the Darth the Vader tone for the whole movie. That's what it sounds like, yeah. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, that's good point. What do you say, Dr. Shock? How, what do you think about this movie? 
It's pretty dismal. I mean, it's <laughs> you know, I'm not. I, I, I so I'm not a fan of of um, part five, and I've pretty much made that clear. But it's really neck and neck with this one as to <laughs> just how poor it is. I mean, even in that opening scene, you know, you, you, the way it starts off, it, it's. I, I just remember I was thinking, boy, it's lucky that that bulb went out when it did. Or else their whole plan would have gone right south, you know, uh, with the, with luring him out into the field and everything. I mean, just everything about this movie—it's just not fun, you know. It's not—it's not fun like like a lot of the previous Friday the Thirteenth were. It's just, and then when you're following the other Jasons, when when he's in the other. Uh, it it just it was it didn't it wasn't entertaining and I'm I'm glad that this is the last time I ever have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Shock, you bring up that opening scene. I felt like I was watching the end of uh, Ace Ventura, where all these cops show up in this comedic <laughs> fashion, yeah, they're like repelling from trees, and they're seriously. It was I thought I was it watching was, kind of like a slapstick comedy, and that's yeah, so and, tonally different from the other ones. Yeah. And it was the it was the first chance I guess New Line had. It was the first. It was their start. And for me, it's the worst opening of any movie. Like yeah, in all of movie dumb. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Of the Friday the Thirteenth, oh, okay, no, okay. not in the history of film. Right. But in the in this franchise, it's the worst opening. Well, what I'll say about it is, I think it's an interesting idea. It's kind of a fun idea. I would say it's the only part of the movie that I could even classify as fun. It's it's too fun, I guess. It is a bit of a wish fulfillment, though. It's it's you know it's kind of it seems like one of those things like the fans have always said. Why don't they just bring in the army? Why don't they just blow them to bits? And so it's kind of giving you <laughs> those things you've been wanting to see, but it doesn't work. It's so it's so um, ineffective, and it's so weird that that's in the same movie as a lady with a glowing dagger, a magical glowing dagger, you know, it's just like, right. yeah. what a weird, weird film this is. Yeah. And then the last, the last four he's descended, they just, that uh, it was just, it was, just where, where does that guy get his information? That's the other thing. Is that in the Necronomicon, like in there somewhere, he figured that out. Like, <laughs> how, it's, it's not like Jason, you know, we've talked about what kind of monster Jason is. He's not a, a classic type of monster that you could have, you know, go research at the library and find out how to kill him. It, it's so confusing how this guy has any information whatsoever. Well, and everyone Jason does. Is. If you yeah. notice, so they're talking about it on the news as though Jason is this common household name, you know, and the other ones, there's this uh, kind of mythic quality, this mystery yeah, of like, like who legend. is this guy killing yeah he's a legend right like it's uh we have one around these parts i forget his name but if you go camping down by pace and lakes um but you're not going to hear about that guy you know 200 miles away but on this it's kind of did well, jason strike well, again incidentally i will say that jason is a household name at my house so just for the record but that's pretty good <laughs> that's but, not a good <laughs> that's good. but anyway okay jason Voorhees. Oh, no. i should have clarified no you're you're exactly right and i agree with you 100 <laughs> percent. here's the thing honestly why do we need to do this where it's like this whole uh, possession thing i guess like here when i i remember back in the day i'm sorry i'm not being articulate but i remember back in the day when this came out i remember thinking okay jason goes to hell when you first hear the title you're like Oh, okay, we're gonna see him tangle with Satan or something, and and I thought that was gonna be like 
a big part of the movie, not like at the end of the movie where they don't really show it, like like show too much about it, like drag me to hell. You know what I mean? So that that was a huge disappointment to me. The fact that the the Jason going to hell part wasn't really a big part of it. It reminds me of um Jason Takes Manhattan, where he spends most of that movie on a boat and not even in Manhattan yet. Yeah, or in that Toronto, gives you way more that. Manhattan than this gives you hell. That's, first of all. that's true, but yeah. this is more like the ending of Ghost. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Although again, that gives you a little more hell as well, I I believe. Yeah, so yeah, right. I, I feel like it was like um a bait and switch or something. They lie, like they lured us in with this the promise. Poster. The poster. And I, if you remember the trailer, I feel like it had like this, you know, had the kind of snake at the fire and everything. As I recall, I haven't revisited it, but yeah, kind of zooming in, right? Like an yeah. effect that gave the impression that we were going to see uh live or some kind of uh, experience in hell with this snake creature. And I, the, the cover and the box art, you know, when I used to go to the video store, it really creeped me out in such an exciting mm-hmm. way. I was like, this is not typical Friday the 13th. I'm really kind of jazzed about this. And then <laughs> you see the movie and it's like, oh, okay. That was weird. <laughs> uh, well, it's almost like in the 90s, you could get away with this kind of movie if you were just a general horror fan. Because this feels like a 90s movie. You know, we always talk about how bad horror was in the 90s. This is a great example. You take a franchise that was struggling at the end of the eighties already, but you know, still was kind of cool and, and, you know, was doing its own thing. And here it just becomes, Oh, I mean, the Necronomicon's one thing. I know people like that. And I know we're going to talk about the movie that follows this, you know, in a couple here with Freddie versus Jason, but that last <laughs> shot of this movie uh. is so ugly and annoying that that even exists. Like who's excited about that? I want to know. I want their names. Yeah, their addresses. Who was excited about that shot? Yeah, the first time I saw that, and I was like, "Come on, you guys! Is that really the best you can do?" And it's like, okay, well, maybe the only thing I can figure is that okay, it's gimmicky, and they were planning on doing this, maybe this Freddy versus Jason eventually. But the the only thing I can figure is they're like, well, well, Freddy was popular. Let's ride on the coattails there. So, I, I mean, that's all I can do to explain it. What do you guys well, say? Well, I mean, New Line was, uh, I mean, that's the house that Freddie built, right? So, New Line right. Cinema was right. so heavily indebted to the existence of Freddy Krueger. And I think people had come to expect that kind of a movie out of any kind of New Line production in the horror area. So, with with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I think a couple of those, uh, the third and the fourth, are really good. They have some nostalgic ties for me. But they, you kind of expect the comedy. You expect the camp. You expect some of the um, goofiness. And with Friday the 13th, even though it has some of those elements, there's always we been were the truly. Yeah. yeah, like it was going there. But there's still scary stuff, stuff that's a lot more horror driven and then all of a sudden this lands and it it just kind of felt like a step backwards like instead of uh kind of trailblazing some more they just got lazy and said well let's just make it like friday the 13th uh with like a freddy vibe and it just didn't work for me at all and i'm with you 100 it's a total mess it's a huge mess yeah Yeah. what really is what else doc what else you got on this one not too much more than, than what i've added i mean it's just this was like maybe the third time I've seen this this movie. 
you know, and you just watch it. And it's just kind of exhausting in a way, <laughs> you know, just yes. with, with all the different stupid things going on in it. And yeah. it, it, it just wears you down. And, and, and that's not a Friday the 13th movie. It's not the type of Friday the 13th we were used to. Like, I, 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 I think uh, uh, Matt Toyd said it, said it best when, when it's, it's like it's the Freddy Krueger version. Of of a Friday the Thirteenth movie, yeah, and that you know, just with it. let's let's just throw let's just throw everything in the kitchen sink in there, um, and 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 see what happens. And it's just, it was just, it's exhausting. Well, I got a question for you guys, and I and I'm being serious about this. Would it have been wrong, or would it have been bad? If they just followed the formula, as much as we've seen it already. Because these Friday the 13th movies, and any slasher movie really, for that matter, is not really about the plot, where the story goes, or anything like that. It's not even about who gets killed. It's about how they get killed. And so, if we still had, on the ninth movie here, if we still had Jason in the woods killing people, um, you know, I as long as they were creative... I think it would have just been fine and Friday the 13th fans would have been happy. Yeah, film critics would have been like more of the same, blah, blah, blah. But who cares? I think it would have been an effective film. And so usually I can applaud filmmakers for trying to do something different. But I think that with this, it's a formula and it worked as it was. And this is just way too far off course. Well, I think New Line, their kind of MO with Friday the 13th is violating everything about the original series that kind of made it good, you know, in my opinion. Right. I, I think they're, you know, they're interesting things. I know we've got a lot of people that are fans of Freddy versus Jason and Jason X, but especially Jason Goes to Hell. It just violates everything about it from the tone to the story to the, the plotting. I, everything about it bugs me. Um, you know, there are moments like in the woods where it feels like a Friday the 13th movie. And mm-hmm. man, some of the craziest gore. I've ever seen yeah, that, that, that scene in the tent, the scene in the yeah. tent, you know, that, that was, yeah. that's probably if you had to pick one scene out of this movie that would maybe harken back to the, to the Friday the 13th, that would be it. Yeah. It's definitely, but that might, but that might, Oh, that might be, that's, that is it. That's like the only one really. <laughs> that's definitely the most popular kill of this particular installment. And Josh, didn't you say in a, an episode way back that that was actually lifted from another movie? Um, no, I wasn't talking about that one. I was talking about, um, a similar one in a different okay. movie, but, um, you know, the, here's the other thing. Um, so in terms of violating the, you know, the original films, like Jason is so different, like, okay, he's switching bodies in this film. And, and I, Jay, I'm surprised you don't like this more because it kind of backs up your interpretation of the films more than any other movie, um, in terms of who Jason is and every man has his limits, Josh, (laughs) but, but you know, like, okay, so he's inhabiting this other body, but what now he, now Jason likes to shave people and he just acts completely differently than he ever has before. Now he is interested in, okay. Like he's been, he's been going through this kind of process. He's gone through this kind of process before he's died in every movie why is this the only time he has to like suck face with everybody he comes in contact with? I mean, it's just as weird. It it's so different. It changes the mythology, and it makes it feel like a totally different film. It betrays it, his character. It betrays. I, I in my opinion, it kind of betrays everything we've expected to 
want from these movies. It it kind of that doesn't I don't want to say it spits in the face of the fan, but you know, people like us, we're the ones that go to see these movies when they come out. We're the one are the listeners here. They're the ones that want to see the next movie and we have expectations. Jason, you pointed that out quite well that um if there's a formula to follow, I don't think slasher fans are going to be anything but forgiving. For the most part, slasher fans just kind of want more cool kills. They don't really care about innovation and all this kind of unnecessary backstory, especially when it gets in the way of the actual uh, story we've known and loved. I mean, there's no yeah. reason to bring in any kind of like origin stories that we didn't already have from the first two movies. Right. Exactly. No origin stories, no other family, no investigative reports, no none of this stuff it, it just yeah. it, it didn't make none of this stuff matter was anything that had really seemed like it had anything to do with friday the 13th it was like a friday the 13th made by people who never watched a friday the 13th movie <laughs> right. there's a there's a screenwriting term called double hocus pocus i don't know if you guys have heard of that but it's basically like we we can the audience will buy into one um you know they will they will uh, suspend their disbelief in one way, but you can't ask them to doubly suspend their disbelief in two different conflicting ways. And I think we're already doing that by believing we have an undead killer who can't be stopped. You know, with these films, we've bought into that, we've right. accepted that, and it's double hocus pocus to now throw in this legend and body snatching and. Look, I like body snatcher movies. I love Slither. This movie's kind of reminiscent of Slither. Oh, don't you dare compare it to Slither. Oh. That is an insult. <laughs> well, you know, with the tonguing people and the little monsters going in their bodies and the body. I mean, it's got <laughs> similarities. It's not a terrible, it is terrible. But I'm emailing it, James Gunn right now. But in some ways, <laughs> in some ways, this movie technically is a decent film. And like if you compare it to part part five. In every measurable way, this is a better movie, but that's more watchable than this. This is just miserable. It's just yeah. excruciating. It really is. And and I like what you said there, Josh, because it is important to have parameters. And interestingly enough, even supernatural horror films like ghost movies, um, those have a degree of parameters. I mean, th- this is closer to me. Not in quality or anything, but this reminds me of like Beetlejuice (laughs) in that, you know how Beetlejuice seems to be in a world where there are no parameters whatsoever. Well, that reminds me of this. And that just makes me think that the screenwriting is so lazy and careless and disrespectful. Which I don't mind in a film like Beetlejuice because that is what the world, that's what the world calls for. But in this, we've already had eight movies Right. Tell us what to expect. Mm-hmm. It would be like if we had nine Beetlejuice movies where he just walked around killing people, and then we got the one with Michael Keaton acting like he does, you know? I love you, Dave. I love it. When this came out, that fateful weekend, August 13th, it was a Friday, 1993, um, I guess the box office was like $7.6 million, according to Wikipedia, mm. and from what I remember, I remember this to be the case too. I read this, but I also remember it. Um, you know, critics hated it, of course, but a lot of people were actually happier with this than Jason Takes Manhattan. And now just having revisited them back to back, I'm not seeing that. No. I mean, it's weird. Yeah, I mean, why? And I have, and I have a few issues. I have a few issues with Jason Takes Manhattan, but it's, it's a far superior movie to this one. 
Yeah, exactly. Especially within the franchise. Yeah. Well, in the weekend, that weekend that it was released, you know, to be fair for its box office, it did have some competition there. They had um, Stephen King's Needful Things was out. And then that, that dog movie, Man's Best Friend, that was out too, I guess, uh, supposedly. Now, I don't, re- I don't remember them being in theaters at the same time. So I don't know that. Do you remember it, Doc? Was um, Needful Things in theaters wide release? No, I don't. I I can't say I do remember that. This was, uh, this was a very uh, unusual time in my life. This was the I was just uh, getting to know uh, well my wife. Now we were just starting to date, and unfortunately she was taking me to movies like Casper the Friendly Ghost and so forth. So I was a little <laughs> out of the loop. Um, I did convince her one of our first dates to go see. Um, uh, oh God, what is it? Um, the third Evil Dead movie, uh, Army of Darkness. Army of, Army of Darkness. Yeah. yeah. Which she just kind of looked at me cross-eyed, and I wasn't sure if she was going <laughs> to take my calls anymore. But I did. I don't remember them being out at the same time, uh, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, I, I guess so. And and obvi- I think both Needful Thing and Man's Man's Best Friend is not a great movie either. But I'd even prefer that one to this movie. <laughs> Right. Well, I was going to ask you guys, too. I guess there is like um, a three-issue comic that goes along with this. Did any of you guys read that by Topps Comics? No. I knew knew that they – so Liz and I, my wife and I, were big comic collectors. But, um, you know, I knew that Topps had released these. I I was familiar with Topps at that time because of baseball cards. But my understanding is that they were kind of released as a hope – to generate some more comics, some more readership there, and that it would bolster the story just enough that people would feel like the movie was better because of it. And that's a very common thing now. Yeah. You know, comics run tandem or there's like a prequel comic um, all the time. But the, the, the Jason comics that I've read, the Friday the 13th comics that I've read and that I've seen, have they don't really do much except add, they kind of convolute the story. And I know that I think it was Willis that was saying the comics explain the Necronomicon a little better and everything. And I'm like, uh, I don't need any of that stuff. So yeah. if it's in the comics, yeah. I'm okay missing those. That's a Richard right. Kelly move right there. Try to supplement your film with a bunch Ugh. of other crap outside of it, which I resent by the way. Um, but they, yeah, tops even had, um, I guess trading cards for this film, which would be hilarious. So if any I didn't have those actually. You did? Oh, did. can you describe any of them? Did they have the, the tent scene depicted in the trading cards? <laughs> no. The, the ones that I had, I do remember one of uh of Creighton Duke sitting there with that cheesy smile he's got. Um and, and he was great. He was one of the more interesting parts of some of the later X Files episodes. But uh the actor was. But they were pretty cool looking, you know, very typical comics that are typical cards that were not sports cards. So I think everybody's probably seen, you know, some of the old, like Tron, I had some Tron cards that were pretty cool. Yeah. I, I used to have like, I had a, I had a whole bunch of close encounters of the third kind and the right, first right. Superman they, movie, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty typical. They, they take uh, somewhat blurry scenes uh, from the movie and they do their best to kind of impose it onto this card. And the one that I remember really well, which my mom saw and was disgusted with and threw away was Jason holding up uh, an ax or a, a machete. Right. But it wasn't even from this movie. 
So it came out and I remember on the back, it said something about this movie on the back of the card, but it was actually from a different movie, the picture. And I, and I knew at the time and I just felt kind of gypped. That's awesome. Anything else before we start wrapping this one up? Because honestly, there's, there's not a lot to say about this film. Unfortunately, I actually real quick, just, uh, I was kind of going over the filmography here of the director, Adam Marcus. This was his first movie as a director and as a writer. And that might actually explain quite a bit. Um, you know, I, 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 Josh is going to know far better than I am what goes into making a movie. And it's kind of like everybody said before, if you can point a camera and, and get it into a theater, you deserve some kind of credit. But uh, for a first movie, I actually would expect more. There's been other people with first movies and first as a first-time writer or a first-time director that have done much better, much more interesting. And uh, I don't know why they picked this guy. I couldn't find anything on it, but certainly didn't, doesn't seem to be anyone that uh, came out, you know, came out of nowhere and did well or whatever. He directed five total movies. He also wrote Texas Chainsaw 3D. That's true. And if that says anything, I don't know. <laughs> it says he knows how to mess up a monster by making him sympathetic. Right, Doc? Well, <laughs> Sorry, fighting words. Just I know. Kidding. It's insulting. I know how much you like that movie. <laughs> um, well, one, I, I do have one last thing, but did you have something, Dave, before you? I was going to say maybe being a first-time writer-director, he was just more interested in, in, I don't know, trying to put his own mark on it then than, than he was in – Continue. I don't know. I'm not sure. I would think that makes would, sense. You know, maybe he was he was trying to. He he really wanted to make it like his own. You know, yeah. there was there's that possibility, and he just went too far. He was taking he was taking an established franchise uh, and doing it with it, and that's that's never a smart move. Well, you know, and you know, New Line probably told him do whatever you want. You know, right? Because it was their a new property for them, and. And they didn't really care about it. I mean, it was more, they wanted this for the Freddy versus Jason, I believe. You know, that yeah, was that the main was the reason they, they wanted Friday the 13th. It's not as if they, because they know, they knew it was on the decline. I mean, each movie uh, in, in, in the old series was, was slowly losing money, whereas Freddy, Freddy Krueger was, you know, doing phenomenal. So you just get the feeling it was almost like, okay, well, we've got to put some movies out to keep the rights of this thing until we can finally get around to Freddy versus Jason. So here, just put something out here and, you know, yeah, do whatever you want. Have fun. Play with it. Um, I think this is the last film in the series that's trying to look like Jason and just botches it completely. I feel like this is the worst looking Jason Voorhees when he's Jason. Yeah, he looks too. We've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. And and which is funny is even though it's Kane Hodder, which um I've been very pleased with his performance as Jason, but yeah, this film it does not work. Okay, last question I was gonna ask you guys, and then we'll move into our ratings. Um so do you think that the concept was it's like, okay, Jason is so tough and just so evil and all this stuff, then what could we do? What could we do? Let's take him to hell you know what i mean do you think that the fact that he was supposedly i mean i mean i guess let's this take is, him out of the movie <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. i mean i guess it's a moot point since they don't really address him being in hell really until which is my my biggest complaint with this film it's maybe tied with my the way i hate and my contempt for the, all the body snatching switching stuff but 
But I, I mean, I guess that would have been something to explore. I mean, what if they would have shown a battle where Jason's got his machete down there and he's like working on Satan or something? I mean, that would have been interesting. Or maybe they're having a tea party. Right, right, right. exactly. I mean, honestly, well, any anything would have been better than nothing, right? Right. Well, it was for it was again it was for Freddy versus Jason, right? That's why he's going to hell. Yeah, Just but to fight Freddy. Yeah. I I wonder. I I still wonder about that. Like. I mean, do you, how much of that do you think was like pieced together? I don't want to say retcon, but but I mean, it almost seems like it wasn't really thought out very well. <laughs> I mean, it seems like he could have been in hell after part eight. Like he could have just skipped straight ahead to Freddy versus Jason. But in my thinking, they New Line wanted to get another box office hit out of this before. Right. Um, you know, and this made $114 million, almost $115 million. It made money, yeah. It made good money. Wow. It's just weird. It's another Jason movie that doesn't really show Jason. I mean, much. I guess it does a little bit more than part five, right? Um, Yeah, but but every time we get Again, it's just, there's just not another horror franchise that I can think of with possibly the exception of Season of the Witch, right? Halloween 3, where they don't show the primary guy i mean everyone's there to see him did anybody say you know what i'd like to see i'd like to see aaron gray in another movie <laughs> yeah right i would really like to see her in a horror flick <laughs> like it's <laughs> people wanted to go see jason and so when they when they don't have that at least to the capacity of the other films it feels to me like a big time cop out yeah i totally agree and i will say this here for the record people can write this down not that anybody would care to the only jason movie that works without Jason in it is the first Friday, the 13th. Agreed. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. There you go. So, all right, well, let's move into our, um, recommendations, ratings and recommendations. And we're going to start with our very special guest tonight, Matroid. What do you rate? Jason goes to hell the final Friday from 1993. Mm, That's a good question. (laughs) I've been kind of going over it thinking, what would I rate this movie? Uh, when I saw it in the theaters the first time, I was young and stupid, so I probably would have rated it much higher, uh, which is why I was so excited to watch it again. Um, I, I think I would probably give it like a three. Uh, it's it's one of those movies that is kind of interesting, and it's fun because you can watch it, and then you can all go out to IHOP or whatever late at night and discuss that, you know, what did we just see? I can't believe we just watched that. So there is some value in it, mainly comedic value, and there's some... I don't know. It's part of the franchise, so sometimes you can skip movies. I agree you can skip five. You can go from four to six without losing a beat. <laughs> you can probably skip this one, too. Um, I don't think it really matters. So I would give it like a three, and I would say uh, avoid if you're not a fan of the series and a very low-priority rental otherwise. Okay. Three and very low-priority rental. What do you say, Dr. Shock? Yeah, I'm struggling with this one because, you know, I came in with a three on part five. Um, made such a big deal about how much I hate that movie, and I do hate it. Uh, I'm having a hard time giving this one a three, to be honest with you. Um, I'm probably I'm probably going to say a 2.5 on mm-hmm. this thing. And uh, <laughs> it just it just was so out there. It was so different from from what we were you know, from what we had, from what we were dealing with. And, 
and uh, it really just it just wore me down. You know, it, it's just a point like God. I I wanted to go back and watch any other Jason movie. <laughs> You know, not part five, but any other Jason movie. I wanted to go back and watch it again. So I got to go with a 2.5 and it's an avoid. Okay. I um, I like it. Yeah. And for me, I, I said in a previous episode that it really pushes it, the, the later part of the series really pushes me in my feelings that people need to at least watch everything at least once. And I, the OCD guy in me, I still feel that way. It's like, okay, if you're going to watch the entire Friday the 13th franchise, I suppose you have to be subjected to this once. But otherwise, having said that, this is a 3 out of 10. It's an avoid. Okay, Wolfman Josh. As I completed my viewing of this movie and Jason goes down into hell and there's like a little Looney Tunes spotlight on him as he disappears into the ground, <laughs> I... I said, this is nothing. I give this nothing. This is a zero to me. Um, but, but as we, as we discussed it tonight, you know, I don't like these things. First of all, let me clarify. I don't like this about the movie, but you know, if I'm honest, there, there are little bits of evil dead and there's you know, direct references, obviously with the, with the, uh, skull dagger and Necronomicon and stuff to evil dead, but it feels a little bit like evil dead a couple of times. I know that's sacrilege. It feels a little bit like slither or something. Some of the time, you know, it's a decent kind of not. It's not. It's got some body snatch elements, which I can appreciate, <laughs> but it's just so terrible. And and Doc and I actually rated and reviewed this on another show. We, I liked, I looked up our ratings. We both gave it a two previously, mm. and uh, and I so I've I've talked myself back up from zero to two, but I'm going to say two and avoid it. Okay, two and avoid. Whoa, those are some low ratings on this. I, I believe it appears as though we all rated this lower than part five, didn't we? Way lower. Yeah. Yeah, way lower. And I and I and I and I went off about how part five I hated it like like what would I say, the intensity of a million suns or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I I obviously I hated this one a little more. Well, I will say this is aptly named because in this installment, the franchise did go to hell for sure. So yes. that's the end of that. So we're glad that we're done watching and reviewing that particular movie. And I don't know if I'll ever end up watching it again, to be honest with you. I hope not. I hope not. But never say never, right, guys? Yeah, next time oh, you I'm, get I'm, a fight I'm on saying the jungle, Jim. Yeah, I'm saying never. I'm saying never. All right. Well, um, we're so grateful that we had Matt Troy here to join us tonight. He's a tremendous guest and I always love having him on the show. Matt, please, once again, will you please uh, promote your new podcast so the listeners will check it out? I sure will. Thank you very much for having me on, by the way. It's fun. I look forward to being on uh, soon again. And then any other time you guys want to have me on as I mentioned before, uh, second only to science fiction, I think horror is probably my favorite. And because I love science fiction so much, I got together a ragtag group of people. One of them I'm married to. The other one was a band wife, I guess, some time ago. So uh, it is called The Sci-Fi Podcast, and you can find it at thescifipodcast.com. It'll be available on iTunes and Stitcher as well. Yes, I know. We'll have it linked in the show notes, and I cannot wait to hear your review of Minority Reports. 
Yeah, absolutely. Excellent excellent movie. And I'd like to have uh, all of you guys on too. I think it'd be a lot of fun to, you know, kind of like one of the discussions we have is science fiction crossing over to other genres, like Mm -hmm. The Fly, which I did last time when I was on the show with you guys. Mm -hmm. It's very sci-fi horror. Well, there's a lot of that in science fiction. So I think when we do something like maybe Event Horizon, it would be fun to have you guys on. Yeah, Science fiction horror and Dr. Shock. It's been great to uh, talk to you again. I, I listen to you a lot. They don't get the chance to converse with you much. I would love to have you on the show as well. Absolutely. I would love to be on. So I, I sat in but didn't really participate in the first episode too much. Um, I just was there to, to be the producer. Um, but uh, you have to have Jason on when you do the Alien franchise because oh, he, I know. Lo- he loves Alien Resurrection. <laughs> I do. I know. And he I'll and Liz anybody. will get along so well. And I'm sorry, but I think that movie is garbage. I, um, I, I, I'm not a fan of Alien Resurrection either. I will fight. You guys, I will fight anybody. I love that movie. (laughs) I I can back up. I can back up your love of aliens over alien. You mentioned that in the first episode, right? Wow. Yeah, you do listen to the. I can back that up. I love aliens. I love it. It's in my top ten for sure. Yes. But alien resurrection. Come on, man. (laughs) You're an adult. (laughs) Well, we'll (laughs) (laughs) oh, that was awesome. I love that. Okay. Well, uh, we'll we'll discuss it on your show then. I would love that. Yes, we will. Okay, brother. All right. Well, thanks for being here again. It was great to have you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Well, that just about wraps up episode 45 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. We want to thank our special guests once again. It was great to have Bill Shetty and Matt Droid. Make sure you check out the links in the show notes so you can check out their respective shows horror on the go and the sci-fi podcast right josh yeah nice awesome and i want to turn it over to my buddies here and see um what kind of plugs you got dr shock same as always i've got um dvdinfatuation.com still going strong with the reviews there twitter at dvdinfatuation all one word just follow okay wolfman josh I'm on Twitter at Acres Arts. Um, do a streaming movie podcast with really short, like 10 minute reviews, um, which are kind of fun to get like 20 of them on your iPod and listen to them all in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, MovieStreamcast.com. Uh, I teased this last week or on the last show. We're going to be covering Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't get that posted because <laughs> I've been super busy trying to help Matroid uh, launch the sci fi podcast. But now that is up and done and. Uh, and I'll get back to posting Tucker and Dale versus Evil and, and be on the ball at moviestreamcast.com. Nice. And I just want to encourage people to check out Movie Podcast Weekly. That's my other podcast where we talk about all genres of film, especially new releases. Yeah, every single Tuesday we have a new episode where we cover the films that are out in theaters. And it's a good time. It's very casual, very silly, but it's fun. And I think you'll like it if you dig this show. So check out Movie Podcast Weekly and hang tight, you know, because in a couple of episodes here, you got some big changes coming. And believe me, they're not bad changes. They're all good changes. I think you'll be very pleased with what I'm trying to do here. Some of them are surprises. And so um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really excited about this year for Horror Movie Podcast. Now, we love your comments, so please continue to get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. As I pull up the site right here and I look at our episode 44 comments, the previous episode, 
Right now we have currently 157 comments and that is phenomenal. I want to thank you genuinely for that, you guys and um and gals. And I'm going to be getting more involved in that. I know I keep saying that, but it's um all part of the plan. It's all coming together. So anyway, you can also leave a comment by just emailing us at horrormoviepodcast@gmail.com and you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. You can find all of our episodes, including our archive of the weekly horror movie podcast, as well as Horror Metropolis, on our website at horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes, and you can follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. And you can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. That'll be linked in the show notes. And I think that's it for episode 45. We thank you for listening. And join us again next Friday, which is Friday the 13th, for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. There's a legend around here. A killer buried, but not dead. A curse on Crystal Lake. A death curse. Jason Borey's curse. They say he died as a boy, but he keeps coming back. have seen him and lived. Some have even tried to stop him. No one can.